What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And thank you for the uh, two bucks from earlier. Oz and Gloria, it's $5 super chat. Huge Jay White fan here. Super hype for him at Hog. Love you and JD on commentary. I really hope we see him on AEW before he goes back to Japan. JD is going back to Japan. Oh, Jay White. Okay. I thought I thought you were talking about JD. I I, I was going to say I have to say goodbye before he leaves. Plus, Ultra Adrian. I have Brock and Sasha winning the Rumble matches tomorrow. As do I. Hope all things are well with you. Food high. Three star Cody turns to five star Cody again. Uh, Groovy Goose, I bet Vince even books the weather for New York. Yeah, he's uh, he's really burying all of us here this weekend. Jay William in the chat says, My wife would love PCO. Both are 51 and from Quebec. Can't risk it. Yeah, no woman can resist the, uh, the power of PCO. Uh, Leonardo, fun to know that I'm your favorite Ninja Turtle. You can't imagine how many times I watched your first 20 minutes on Rollins and Finn. Laugh like Joker Rollins. Thank you, Leonardo. DHV, I mean, which song, if X-Pac, enters the rumble? Oh, well, he'll probably have his his old uh, his, his music that he used when he was in DX. He had his own song. Remember the beginning of the song? It's some guy screaming X-Pac, and then it, and then it goes into like a rap version of the music. Flag Daddy, thank you for the super chat. Ren Silver with the two bucks. Solo Monster on Friday night. Yeah, it's like that. And Food High with $4.99. Do you uh, still have the video of you ripping your cable bill? After that nightmare stream where you kept losing signal until past midnight. Yes, I have the clip. I do have it. Paul Heyman, can you see Shane McMahon in the Royal Rumble? Yes. Yes, I can. DHV Smoking Trees, $10 Super Chat. I love the idea of Brock losing because he was being lazy while Bobby was busy working out and preparing. Kind of like how Cena lost to Undertaker because he was in the crowd getting drunk. <laughs> hey, that's what happened. Cena was downing, he was downing PBR all night in the crowd in New Orleans. He wasn't ready. He had a big beer gut. He was full of alcohol. That's why he got uh, buried by the Undertaker in three minutes at WrestleMania that year. You know, another missed opportunity. 
not doing Cena and The Undertaker while the streak was still intact and, and while people still had this image in their head of, of Super Cena, right? Oh, he buries everybody. He never loses, even though he actually did lose from time to time. That version of Cena against the undefeated at WrestleMania version of The Undertaker, I, I said this years ago at that time on the podcast, you got to do that match at WrestleMania. People would be on the edge of their seat. When, when, when Cena gets this guy in the FTS, and The Undertaker is teasing that he might tap. Can you imagine the people losing their minds in the crowd, scared to death that WWE was going to have The Undertaker put over John Cena at WrestleMania? The only way that worked is with the streak intact. And the moment the streak was broken, that was it. It's like Undertaker and Sting. You know, just, it's just, it's done. It's just a missed opportunity. People, are people really putting the uh, Uncle Cracker lyrics up to uh, Xbox song? What was it? It was Xbox, Just Incredible, and Albert, right? Lord Tenza. What did they call themselves? What's the name of their faction again? I just, I just forgot the name of the the, the group. Uh, oh, Xbox. I, I literally just said that a minute ago. Xbox. One of the worst factions in WWE. That and uh, the core. The core with the remaining members of Nexus. Speaking of buried. Yo, you dealing with the X Factor? Okay. We, we've got we've to gotta get off that topic. We've got to get off that topic really quick and go to Be the Booker. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to be the Booker. Time to be the Booker. Time to be the Booker. We're going to do something a little bit different tonight. I had some people suggest that we do a tag match. I'll, I'll let you guys decide. It's not often that we see a tag team match in the main event of WrestleMania. Should we do a tag team match? Or Fatal 4-Way. I'll let you guys in the chat decide really quick. Fatal 4-Way or Tag Team Match. Let's do it a little different tonight. Bearwolf says, Cena buried the Nexus for sure. He buried him with that finish at SummerSlam, yes. And even Cena, after the fact, acknowledged that it was a mistake in doing what he did in that match. Fatal 4-Way. Fatal 4-Way? Fatal 4-Way it is. So we're going to book ourselves a Fatal 4-Way match. This is the main event of WrestleMania. We have a little fun with this. See if we can book a better match than uh, WWE would. So here we go. Let us see who uh, the first member of this Fatal 4-Way is going to be. We have Kofi Kingston, who has a WWE championship win at WrestleMania. All right, so I want you guys to remember this. Kofi Kingston is number one. Number two, Chris Jericho. We're off to a pretty good start. Chris Jericho, Kofi Kingston, not, not, not the uh, current day Chris Jericho. We have Chris Jericho, Kofi Kingston. Otis. It's four-point Otis. Uh-oh. 
I don't know now. We have Jericho, we have Otis, we have Kofi Kingston, and we have The Undertaker. What a motley crew of talent in this match. Well, half of the match are uh, first ballot future Hall of Famers. One of the other participants is an eventual Hall of Famer. And then there's Kofi Kingston. No, I'm kidding. And then there's Otis. Uh, nah, this don't work for me. That don't work for me. Sorry. Let's see if we do better with the ladies. So should we do the same thing with the women? Maybe we'll do what? A triple? You know, we'll do a tag team match. We're going to book a tag team match for the women. This should be this should be good because we have the women's rumble tomorrow with a lot of the old faces coming back. So let's do we'll book a tag team match here. Team number one is Nikki Cross, not this Nikki Ash bullshit. We've got Nikki Cross teaming with Bianca Belair. Interesting. It'll be Nikki and Bianca taking on Jillian Hall. Jillian Hall and Mickey James. Nikki Cross and Bianca Belair against Mickey James and Jillian Hall. I am I am so tempted to hit this button, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm going to give it a win. It's a lot, there's a lot of talent in that match. There's a lot of talent in that match. I, I don't want to hate on that match. So we actually had a winner for the ladies and a loser on the men's side. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's the other way around. Food Hive with the $1.99. Billy and Chuck into the Hall of Fame. The theme was fire. If Billy Gunn goes into the Hall of Fame, it ain't going to be with Billy and Chuck. I can tell you that. Billy Gunn, I guess Billy's already in the Hall of Fame, though, right? When DX went in, he went into the Hall of Fame already, didn't he? Yeah. Now, Billy and Chuck is not going into the Hall of Fame. If you want to have a theme music wing of the Hall of Fame, then you can put Billy and Chuck's theme song in there eventually. But Billy and Chuck will not be in the Hall of Fame. Again, if you are a channel member... Make sure you go back if you missed it. We had some very interesting callers on the stream last night, including our old friend Luis. Always an interesting time when Luis calls in. Luis called in and called me JD when uh, the call ended. Literally forgot what podcast he was listening to. Called back to apologize and then went off on uh, something else. I don't remember what it was. He is truly one of a kind. But anyway, that is up for uh, all of our channel members and our SoundOff family. I want to thank you guys. I've been doing a lot of streaming this week. You see the button on your screen, subscribe, and hit that like button as well on your way out if you have not already done so. Uh, this has been uh, a very exhausting week, but a lot of other work I've been doing as well. And it's not over yet because there's going to be a lot of shoveling to do this weekend. And tomorrow night is the Royal Rumble. 
Sunday is episode 741 of the podcast, which I'm still preparing for, and i got to go through some of your questions for the uh, mailbag. So the work never ends. Wherever you are, if you are on the East Coast, do stay safe, because I know in some places it's going to be uh, it's going to be getting dangerous. So hopefully everybody is okay. Hopefully everybody keeps power. Power to the people. Plus, Ultra Adrian just became a sound off superstar. Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Adrian, welcome to the family. But I expect to see you guys back with me tomorrow night whenever the Royal Rumble is over, probably after 11. It's probably going to be a late night, so I'll be here, and we'll do the Wrestle Rumble contest as well. Take more of your uh, super chats, hang out for a little bit, and uh, it's going to be a good time. So be well, stay safe, especially if you are on the East Coast. Food Hive says, Undertaker would say, that don't work for me, brother. Love you, Food Hive. All right, guys. I'll see you tomorrow night for the Royal Rumble. One of the biggest nights of the year. One of my favorite shows. I can't wait. I'll see you guys. It's business time, baby. You are listening. Solo Monster sounds off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Come on, Tony. I'm old. You know what's fighting a woman? You're saying Vince McMahon's stupid. Is that what you're saying? Oh, my God. We're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Sounds like dialogue is shit. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? Come over here and find me. I'm the Solo Monster, damn it. Solo Monster, who are you to dote El Dandy? <laughs> Busy, 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 busy week. I've got notes on the end of the G1 Climax with one hell of a surprise return to the ring and a devastating injury to end the tournament much the way it began. It started with an injury, and unfortunately, it ended with one as well. I've got the fallout from Crown Jewel, which will end up being one of the best top-to-bottom WWE shows all year. And the controversy coming out of SmackDown with Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. I have a lot of notes on that and a lot of thoughts. Also thoughts on last night's Bound for Glory pay-per-view and last night's AEW Dynamite show. Halloween Havoc predictions. And we may have an answer as to why the NXT Tag Team Champions, MSK, have been booed for months inside the CWC. It's been puzzling to me. We might have an answer now. Plus, my Dark Side of the Ring recap on XPW, which I decided to include as part of the main podcast this week. All that and more on this episode 727 of the Solomonster Sounds Off for Sunday, October 24th, 2021. If you, yes you, would like to make a PayPal donation and support what I do, you may do so on the solomonster.com. You'll see the PayPal button on the right-hand side of the page. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out here on the air. Like the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, Night Stalker, Nayef Al-Safar, Big Bear, Brian Pestera, Killshot, Keith Hart. These are all the members of our Soundoff family here. Beast Mode, Brock Joseph, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, Ostentatious Alan Carter, John Raging Mad Riffle, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, The Pastor of Pain, Domanian Yule, Ass Kicker, Austin Braley, 
Thomas, better than Ben Simmons, Leffler. Dropping a dono for the first time this week after, I believe, seven years in the Facebook group. It took Ben Simmons to inspire him enough. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. To come up with a name and drop a donation. But thank you to Thomas. Bare Knuckle, Brandon Burstian, who is celebrating his 29th birthday tomorrow. So happy birthday to Brandon. And also a very special happy birthday to Sweet Sapphire, Sarah Kittleson, who is celebrating a birthday this Tuesday. So from one Libra to a Scorpio, happy birthday, Sarah. And if you want to become a channel member on YouTube, the place to go is, of course, youtube.com slash thesolomonster. That's going to bring up the main channel. And pretty much under any video, you'll see a white join button. Don't know if you could do that on mobile. But I know you can do it on desktop. Uh, I want to thank all of our new channel members for supporting on there. We've uh, picked up a whole bunch in recent weeks here in the month of October, so I thank you for that. Let's uh, start off here with Impact. I'm not going to you know, recap every match or anything. I did check out the pay-per-view last night. A lot of people told me I should. It sounded like they uh, may have had a couple of surprises up their sleeve. And I, I knew the Dynamite was on as well, so I figured, all right, well, I'll just be a slave to the wrestling last night. It's one of the reasons why I knew I wouldn't have time for a stream, so I figured we'll talk about it on the show here. But let me talk about Impact first. Impact held its Bound for Glory pay-per-view last night in Las Vegas. And I have to say, it is depressing to see and to hear how different an atmosphere it is now for these impact shows. I mean, it's been this way for a while. But just, you know, Bound for Glory has always traditionally been their big annual event, right? Or, or one of them, anyway, one of the top two. I always looked at it as, as kind of like their WrestleMania, even more than Slammiversary. And to just see the atmosphere now as compared to even how it was a few years ago, five years ago, six years ago, let alone, you know, a decade ago, you would never even know that this was a, the same company that did over 2 million viewers at one point on Spike TV. It's just like a totally different promotion now. Matt Stryker was on commentary running down the card at the beginning of the show, and they were uh, piping his commentary in for the rundown over the PA system. And when he got to the title match between Christian Cage and Josh Alexander, he asked the people... Uh, how many of you think Alexander is going to walk out as the champion? And maybe half a dozen people kind of clapped and responded. And then he asked, how many of you think Christian is going to leave with the title? And it got no real reaction. 
And Stryker just goes, this crowd is split right down the middle. That's <laughs> like, yep, the most unintentionally funny moment of the night was that moment right there. Uh, Gail Kim inducted Awesome Kong into the Impact Hall of Fame before the show. They showed highlights of it later on. She made a very nice speech. Uh, her and Gail put that knockout division on the map. Before Stephanie McMahon was crowing about there being a women's revolution, there was Gail Kim and Awesome Kong in TNA, and we should never forget that. The Iconics, now going by The Inspiration, made their Impact debuts, winning the Knockouts Tag Team titles from Rosemary and Jessica Havoc in their very first match. That is a no-go from me. I was not exactly a fan of their act in WWE. Maybe they'll tweak it, and it'll be different here at Impact. But, uh, look, I I'm glad they found work, and they got their visa issues settled, because I know that was, you know, a little scary for them. I heard them, uh, it was Kathy talking about that, I think, on Renee Young's podcast a while back. So I'm happy that, that they found work. But uh, as far as the Iconics, as the tag team champions here at Impact, yeah, I think I'm going to pass on that. Uh, that Trey Miguel guy, let's talk about him. Trey Miguel, he's pretty good. He's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, after Josh Alexander gave up his X Division title to Chase after the world title, Miguel won a triple threat to become the new X Division champion. A very good match against El Fantasmo and Steve Macklin, the former forgotten son in WWE. He is uh, forgotten no more. Although he was forgotten at the finish because he didn't win. Moose. I was puzzled when they booked Moose to lose to Chris Sabin. He got rolled up by Chris Sabin at Slammiversary. Now, I remember talking about that. I thought uh, he should have been the one to take that impact title from Kenny Omega. Here on this show, he won a call-your-shot gauntlet match to earn the right to challenge for the championship of his choosing. The fucking demon. Not, not the dead demon that we saw against Roman Reigns falling flat on his face at Extreme Rules. The WCW demon made a surprise cameo in the gauntlet match. I, I don't know how they uh, swung that one <laughs> with uh, Gene Simmons. Somebody got to let Gene Simmons know about that. He might have something to say about that. Good Brothers retained their Impact Tag Team titles over Bullet Club and Finn Juice. Uh, Mickey James ended the reign of Deanna Perrazzo at 343 days to win the Knockouts Championship. That was a surprise. I was not expecting that. Especially after, you know, Deanna had made so much noise recently about wanting a match with Britt Baker. Uh, it almost seemed like they were setting something up. But then who goes over? See, that's the problem if you do a match like that, is that who goes over. But that was a good match. And then in the main event, Josh Alexander, his uh, wife and son in the front row, forces Christian Cage to submit to the ankle lock to win his first Impact World Championship. I said last week this feels like a title change. It's time for, for Christian to uh, come back to AEW television. And Christian is not, you know, Kenny Omega who's going to go out there on TV and win every single one of his matches. And if he's out there losing while also holding the Impact World Championship, I would imagine that Scott Demore and the brain trusted Impact would not like that very much. And so we did get a title change, and we got a very nice moment with Alexander and his wife and his son in the ring and the whole family embracing. And it looked like they were going to go off the air and have this big feel-good moment. 
And credit to Matt Stryker and D'Lo Brown on commentary, who sold the shit out of this. Their voices were cracking, they were crying, they were really trying to put this over. And then, Moose comes out. He is cashing in, and it is such a tired concept at this point. Uh, it's not an impact problem, it's a wrestling problem, but... There he is, telling the referee he's cashing in his gauntlet win to challenge for the Impact World title. Alexander ushers his wife and kid into the corner to get them out of harm's way. So they're still in the ring while they're watching their husband and they're watching their their father walk right into a spear. And in a matter of about six seconds, Moose pins Josh Alexander and becomes the new Impact Wrestling World Champion at long last, something they should have done months ago. But when uh, when he was hot as a baby face, they should have done it. I like this. And I know not everybody probably did. But I like this, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I've been saying that they should have put the title on Moose, and they did. So I'm not going to come on here now and say that I have an issue with it, because I said that's what I had wanted to see. And that's what they gave us here on this show. Would I have done it this way? No. Uh, but I, I do like the fact that they put the championship on him. But, second of all, this is the Daniel Bryan story from 2013 at SummerSlam. Daniel Bryan pinned John Cena in the main event at SummerSlam that year to win his very first WWE championship. And people were very happy for him, and he looked like it was going to be this great feel-good moment going off the air. And then Randy Orton came out. And he teased cashing in his money in the bank. And that's when Triple H, who was the referee for the Cena-Brian match, he was still in the ring. He gave Brian a pedigree. He turned heel. Orton came in. And he pinned Daniel Bryan in a matter of seconds. It was over. And Randy Orton was the new champion after cashing in his money in the bank. And what it did is it helped establish Bryan as their biggest babyface. Even if they never intended to see the story through, originally, in Brian's own words, at WrestleMania the following year, he was going to be sixth from the top against Sheamus in a match that had nothing to do with any championship. So even if that wasn't their original intent, it set him on his course. Fans got behind him, and he ended up going to the main event and getting his moment at WrestleMania. They have now established Moose as the new top heel in this company after what he did to this guy on this show. And Josh Alexander now has been established as the new top babyface who can chase for the championship. I also thought the image of Moose standing over Alexander as his son ran over to check on, you know, his dad and, and just his family hovering over him as he laid there. And there's Moose standing over them holding the title. I mean, how old is his son? His son can't be older than five or six years old. This little kid runs over and tries to check on Daddy. That's a great visual. But it's a great way to establish your new top heel for what he did to this man on this show. So I liked it. And there was a lot of talk going into this pay-per-view about Braun Strowman possibly debuting for Impact last night. He was spotted on his way to Las Vegas. He did not show up. I don't even know if he was backstage. I didn't. I certainly didn't read anything indicating he was there. Now, he still could show up at their TV tapings. They're taping the next few weeks of television in Vegas. Minoru Suzuki is debuting for Impact on those tapings. If Strowman does show up, they may be using the nickname Titan for him or The Titan. He could be the one to challenge Moose next for the championship. I mean, look, the Iconics came in on night one and they became the women's tag team champions. 
So who's to say that Stroman wouldn't come in and he wouldn't immediately be thrown into a program against Moose? Maybe they bring him in, not with the idea of putting the belt on Stroman right away. Maybe they're going to bring him in and use him to help elevate Moose. Is that something Stroman would even be interested in, coming in and being used to help get somebody else over? I don't know. If they can pay his asking price, maybe he'll do whatever they want him to do. As long as he doesn't win the championship. If they want, you know, Josh Alexander to chase for it, then he may not get first crack at the belt. He may go to somebody else. He may have to claw his way back to the top. That's a story that they could tell over, over the next several months. But I think a moose run with the belt is uh, long overdue, and I was happy to see him finally get it. The G1 Climax ended with Okada winning his third G1 since 2012 with a victory over Kota Ibushi in the finals to earn the right to challenge for the IWGP heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom, a finals that had to be stopped early due to injury. It was a G1 that uh, began with an injury to Tetsuya Naito, his knee, which knocked him out of the tournament. And sadly, it ended with one as well, a dislocated right shoulder suffered by Ibushi on a Phoenix splash that missed when Okada rolled out of the way, and he crashed and burned. He landed hard. It looked like he broke his arm. He was holding his arm immediately. He was holding his wrist. So I went from thinking he broke his arm, which is what the announcers thought, to he broke his wrist, to finding out that he actually dislocated his shoulder. So it could have been worse. I think a broken arm would have been worse. But he was just in agony. And the Red Shoes didn't waste any time. He immediately called for the bell. He called for an end to this. So he had to know how serious it was right away. I mean, this is New Japan. I mean, guys, you know, they get hurt all the time and they continue on. Red Shoes immediately called the match off. And it looked like they were trying to pop his shoulder back into its socket. And he had to be helped to the back. Not the way that Okada wanted to win, but quite appropriate for what has been a snake-bitten year for New Japan and for Ibushi. I mean, look at the year that he's had. Not only did he, he won and lost the uh, IWGP championship, but he had a foot injury. Then he was out with aspiration pneumonia. And now he's got a dislocated shoulder, and I don't know how long the recovery period for that. I would think it might be a couple of months at least unless he tries to you know, come back uh, a little bit sooner, but he's going to be out for a while. Less than 24 hours later, Okada took part in a remote press conference along with the chairman of New Japan, and he was asked about the comments that he made after the show that he wanted to hold the fourth-generation IWGP heavyweight belt. Uh, that is the previous belt, the one that Okada held many times, that they replaced earlier this year with a new design. And this is what Okada had to say. Well, I won the G1, and I want to face Ibushi again, but I feel there should be something concrete to represent that. I am not a champion, and I don't have anything to put up. The IWGP Heavyweight Championship that Ibushi retired, though, I'm not saying that people should call me the exiest heavyweight champion or anything, but I want to hold that belt until Ibushi gets back. Usually the G1 winner gets a contract and defends that, but maybe I can, in fact, since the chairman is here today, <laughs> and he looked over at the chairman who was standing off to the side, and he goes, I'm asking, to have the fourth IWGP heavyweight title belt in place of a contract, is that okay, chairman? There's usually a briefcase with a contract inside, but after the way things ended yesterday, I want to face Ibushi again. 
And since Ibushi retired that title, I want it as proof of my promise to him to have a title belt instead of a contract. And so the uh, the chairman, Mr. Uh, Sugabayashi, he, he looks over at Okada and he goes, in place of a contract? And Okada goes, that that is correct. And the chairman, he just pauses for a long time. And he goes, well, you've made your stance clear. Allow time for some consideration. This is the translation from the New Japan website. He goes, allow time for some consideration. And Okada says, uh, understood. Well, if it were to be a contract, last night Tamatanga came to me after the match, and I have no qualms with putting it on the line against him. But I want to fire up New Japan in my own way, not as the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, but as the G1 Champion. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Okada was then asked, uh, so to clarify... You would like to forego the current system of holding a right-to-challenge contract and instead carry the fourth championship belt, assuming the same level of stakes and risks that the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion has. And Okada said, that's right. Until I get to face Ibushi again, and I don't know where or when that will be, but if I have this belt, I plan to keep it until then. I love that belt. So if they wanted to bring it back in some way, I mean, that, that's great. But if Okada brings that belt back, boy, does that relegate Shingo to second-class citizen status. He, he is not doing Shingo any favors if he brings that belt back. Just the visual of Okada walking around with that old championship belt. I mean, what are people going to think? They're going to see him with that and think, like, oh, there's your world champion. Shingo's going to end up with, like, a Chris Jericho title reign. So, I don't know. I don't know that that does him any favors. But the big surprise at the G1 Finals was the return of Katsuyori Shibata. Nobody knew that he was coming out. The announcers didn't know. They were stunned. It wasn't in their run sheets. Nobody saw him hanging around in his gear. Chris Charlton on commentary was having a, a markout moment when uh, Shibata came out. They kept this very close to the vest. Intermission ends. And Zack Sabre Jr. walks to the ring in his gear. And he wasn't scheduled to have a match. And then Shibata's music hits. And he walks out in his gear for what was announced as a UWF Rules five-minute exhibition. Which was basically a match with a lot of grappling and a lot of submission work and no strikes to the head. Although I, I, I take it UWF Rules means has meant different things to different promotions over the years. He didn't take any real bumps. 
Uh, Shibata reversed a Cobra twist into one of his own just as the time expired. Both men asked for five more minutes like they were Lex Luger and Tatanka at the uh, King of the Ring in 93. And uh, like the two of them, they didn't get their extra five minutes. But they shook hands. Sabre left. He gave Shibata the ring to himself to address the fans. And Shibata told the crowd, the next time you see me in the ring, it will be in an actual match. I don't know what changed, but it's like Brian Danielson. He was told he would never be cleared to wrestle again in WWE. And three years later, he was back. Shibata has not wrestled an actual match since the match with Okada in 2017 where he, he almost died. I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. The man almost died. He suffered a subdural hematoma from a nasty headbutt that he delivered. Probably it wasn't just one headbutt. That was the headbutt that just sort of, you know, broke the camel's back. But he had to undergo an emergency five-hour brain operation where part of his skull was removed to relieve swelling on the brain. I mean, for him to come back and look as great as he did in there with Sabre is incredible. Now, he's been training young Lions at their L.A. dojo since he was forced into retirement, so physically it's not like he hasn't been – he's probably been in the ring grappling and rolling and doing stuff like that, and, and I'm sure training in the gym, clearly. He's, it looks like he's got himself in great shape. If this is the start of even a part-time return to the ring for Shibata, we might even get to see him in the ring with Danielson at some point. It wouldn't that be something? But please, for the love of God – I say this as as a fan and as somebody who, you know, does not want to see a repeat of what happened to him four years ago. No headbutts, please. They need to force him to sign that in blood. No headbutts. Hey, it's Chris Bansley. You may have seen my videos on YouTube, but I also have a podcast. It's Chris Mania, brother. Each week I sit down with the biggest names in pro wrestling for in-depth conversations to find out what makes the greatest performers so great. That's a great question. Look at you, man. That's a powerful question. Just search for the Chris Bansley Show wherever you're listening right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Bansley! Shout out to Chris Van Vliet. You heard the man there. A lot of you have probably seen his YouTube interviews, but you can hear them as well. So make sure you check out his recent ones with Adam Cole, Bobby Fish. He just had one that went up the other day with Brandy Rhodes. That just dropped on Friday. So search for Insight with Chris Van Vliet everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure you add that one to your list. Chris is great at what he does. WWE returned to Riyadh on Thursday for the first time in 20 months for more of that sweet Saudi money and ended up putting on one of their better shows of the year, easily the best of all the Saudi shows so far. Uh, Much love to one of our listeners, Fawaz, who had a sound-off sign front and center on the hard cam multiple times during the show, repping the podcast in the Middle East. I love it. Edge and Seth Rollins closed out their trilogy on a high note. I thought that Hell in a Cell match they had was excellent. The best since Sasha and Becky two years ago. With one of the greatest table bumps that I have ever seen, taken by Seth Rollins. Redemption for Rollins after his last debacle of a Hell in a Cell match. A match so bad he wanted to literally strangle his boss over it. 
Uh, and that should put him in line for a program with, uh, we're talking about Edge now, Edge's win should put him in line for a program with Big E, because Edge was traded to Raw. And Big E, of course, is the WWE champion. Now, he'll be wrestling Roman Reigns at Survivor Series because they do this Raw versus SmackDown stuff. But coming out of that, maybe at the, uh, well, I mean, look, they have no pay-per-views in December. They have two shows in January, one on New Year's Day, and then you have the Royal Rumble at the end of the month. And on one or both of those shows, you could set up for WWE title matches with Edge and Big E. You know, have Edge put Big E over. Big E's going to need some some names to beat. Zelina Vega won the Queen's Crown over Dewdrop, ending the worst tournament in the history of this company. One that they could not even devote a full 20 minutes of ring time to. From start to finish, they didn't even hit 20 minutes. While Xavier Woods got to fulfill his boyhood dream of becoming king, king of the ring, with a win over Finn Balor, time will tell if this leads to him getting a big head and maybe going heel eventually. I I don't see it. You know, for all the times that we've talked about possible heel turns for the various members of the New Day, either together or one guy turns on the other, I don't see any reason for any of the New Day people to turn on each other. I don't think they want to. I don't think they will. I think they want to go down as one of the rare groups that just never breaks up. They're a brotherhood. They're brothers for life. They've had great success. They've made a lot of money. They've sold a lot of merch. Still do. I don't see there being any kind of New Day split where one person turns on the other. Would it make for a great story? Yeah, of course. You could You could tell a great story. You could tell a great story of jealousy with... with Xavier or with Kofi. I mean, you can always manufacture some kind of story. I laid out a great story that they could have told with the two of them in the uh, semifinals of this tournament, which they didn't. They didn't do. But I think these guys are going to end up being babyfaces until they retire, like John Cena. All the years people clamored for a heel turn, we never got one. I think that's what's going to end up happening with New Day. But Woods may be the only person who genuinely cared about winning that crown. I I can appreciate that. He's a fan. He has dreamt about being king of the ring. It's real to him. So good for him. But the king and queen crowns could have meant a lot more if there was actually something tangible at stake beyond just a, a, a plastic crown and a robe and a scepter. You know, they have a breakout tournament in NXT, where the winner gets the challenge for the championship of their choosing. I guess for the ladies, their options are limited, but I don't see why they couldn't have done something similar like that for the men, just to have something on the line. Randy Orton and Matt Riddle retained their Raw Tag Team titles against AJ Styles and Omos. And even that felt like, what are we doing here? Why are these two teams still going at it? Why is AJ even still doing tag team duty? And they lost, and I figured, okay, great, finally, we can move on from this. Nope. We've got another rematch already announced for Raw tomorrow night. And I love how they're promoting this show tomorrow night as the start of the new Raw era. I think this is the uh, season premiere. And it's the first night with the new roster. It is a new era, they say, of Monday Night Raw. The new era very much looks like the old era. They added a false count anywhere stipulation late in the day to the Goldberg-Bobby Lashley match after they came up with a finish of Goldberg spearing Lashley off the ramp onto two tables about five feet down on the floor. 
I thought the finish looked good. Goldberg looked fine. Lashley, you know, predictably took the loss. Goldberg did not deliver on his promise to kill the man, although it seems like Lashley's big push is likely dead. He's lost a whole bunch of times now on TV, and I, I don't see there being any obvious direction for him. I guess we'll have to wait until this big season premiere, the, the new era of Monday Night Raw, to see what they might have in store for Bobby Lashley. Big E and Drew McIntyre, they had a very good match with a very predictable finish because nobody in their right mind expected a title change here. I mean, the timing of the draft pretty much ruined that, but they had a very good match. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks, very good triple threat match where they could have solved a major problem by having Sasha Banks win the championship since she is the only name left on SmackDown and they were wrestling for a SmackDown title. But Becky Lynch retained. And Roman Reigns retained his Universal title, pinning Brock Lesnar after a belt shot and interference by the Usos. On the kickoff show, they announced the match was going to be no disqualification, only to come back later on that very same pre-show and reverse that and say, well, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns don't want the match to be no disqualification, so... It will be a regular match instead. On the fly booking, at its finest, folks, they should have had this shit worked out before the plane touched down on the tarmac. An hour before the show, they're still trying to figure out what we're doing here. I did like the drama with Paul Heyman sliding the belt into the ring, not knowing who he slid it into the ring for. This is obviously not going to be their last meeting. It feels like... It feels to me like a Lesnar win at WrestleMania. The problem is that if that happens, we end up with a part-time champion again. And that is never an ideal thing. But that led to SmackDown the following day. That was a long flight for the SmackDown crew. It was a long flight for everybody, but for the SmackDown crew in particular, because they didn't get to go home. They went right to a live show on Fox, which might explain why we got... 17 minutes of wrestling on this two-hour wrestling show, or what I what I think is a wrestling show. They probably did that to give these people a rest, which, if that's the case, I can understand that. Lesnar told WWE.com that he would be coming to SmackDown, and when he finds Roman Reigns, he's going to beat him senseless. They devoted the first half-hour plus, I think it was about 36 minutes of this show, to an angle. With Roman Reigns, he was in the ring with Paul Heyman. He was refusing to leave unless Brock Lesnar comes out and delivers on his promise to beat him senseless. So they went to a commercial. They came back from the first commercial. Roman is, not only is he still in the ring, he's in the middle of his promo. They come back. He's talking still. And it was a nice hook to keep people tuned in. It was smart. Then Lesnar finally does come out. And they brawled all over the ringside area. He grabbed a television camera at one point. He threw it at Roman, who ducked, and it smashed into pieces against the ring post. They sent referees out to break them up. Lesnar threw a bunch of referees and agents around. Adam Pearce sent the whole roster out to stop him, and Brock took out Humberto. He took out Angel Garza. Welcome to SmackDown, boys. As soon as Lesnar started beating up referees, I knew. I knew exactly what was coming next, because they'd done this before. 
And sure enough, after another commercial break, Adam Pearce was in the ring, and he announced that he was suspending Brock Lesnar indefinitely for what he had just done. Lesnar walks back out to the ring. He grabs Pierce by the neck. He was choking him. He's asking him to repeat what he just said. I want to make sure I heard you clearly. Why don't you go ahead and repeat what you just said? And Pierce obliged, and he said, I'm suspending you indefinitely. And he got hit with an F5. The fans chanted one more time, so Brock picked him up and hit a second one, which I guarantee you was not planned. That just felt like Brock being able to read the room and knowing what he's doing and giving the fans what they wanted to see. It was so devastating that he ripped the inseam of uh, Pierce's pants. He split the man's pants. He may have also shit his pants. I know I would have if uh, I was ever threatened by an angry Brock Lesnar. So that's their way of writing Brock out for a few months until the Royal Rumble. The same thing they did the night after WrestleMania in 2015 when Stephanie suspended him for beating up Michael Cole and for beating up a cameraman. That was over six years ago. So I guess they looked at that and they figured, enough time has gone by. We can go back to that well again. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. You know, look, if Brock's leaving, there's no other way outside of him just not appearing on TV at all to plausibly explain why he is not going to be on TV for the next few months. And I like that he showed up pissed off. I I liked all of this chaos. I liked the start of the show. You know, just because we went 35 or 36 minutes without a single match, you you got the two biggest stars in your entire company, your biggest heel and your biggest babyface, and I think uh, Pat McAfee on commentary at one point made the analogy. It was like Godzilla against King Kong. These guys are just beating the shit out of each other all around the ring. The crowd is hot for it. I, I liked it. It felt like the sort of thing you would see all the time with Steve Austin in the Attitude Era, where he would come out on Raw, and it wasn't about, you know, what's the first match of the night. You know, that really wasn't the focus back then. It was more Austin's the hottest thing in all of wrestling, And he's out there. Maybe he got screwed over on a pay-per-view the night before, like Brock did, right? He got screwed over at Crown Jewel. You would expect him to come out the next night and be pissed off and want to beat the fuck out of people. So that's what that reminded me of. As long as you have a compelling idea, even if it goes through uh, three commercial breaks or two commercial breaks, then go for it. This was more interesting than whatever they probably would have given us. This feels to me like a Brock Lesnar Royal Rumble win. And someone emailed me the other day about this. That maybe the final two left in the ring, in the Royal Rumble match, are Brock Lesnar 
and Bobby Lashley. Now, I still think you could get a big singles match out of it, although with Lashley losing more and more, I mean, he's going to lose some of that luster the more he loses. So maybe we get a final two in the Royal Rumble match, and that's that's as close as we get to a Lesnar-Lashley match. But I think as far as like a, a Royal Rumble final, in terms of it coming down to two people, uh, that would be a pretty you know, pretty fun way to go. Sonya Deville took over the show with Adam Pearce laid up in the trainer's room, and when Naomi showed up backstage to confront her after that little stunt that she pulled with her in the handicap match last week, and she asked for a rematch, Sonya turned her down and basically just said, get lost. She, she sent her on her way, and Naomi looked like a fucking geek just walking away like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's her boss and storyline, I get that, but... I am so used to the days of baby faces actually being badass and sticking up for themselves. And she just looked uh, like a total loser just walking away from her. This was the uh, first official night of the new roster. So Drew McIntyre was there issuing an open challenge that was accepted by Sami Zayn, who did not have to travel to Saudi Arabia. So he was fresh and ready to go. Didn't do him any good. He still lost. They had a King of the Ring coronation in the ring with Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. Uh, Nobody interrupted, which was probably the biggest surprise of the night. They ran back Mansoor against Mustafa Ali again, with the same result of Mansoor winning, only this time, unlike in Riyadh, nobody seemed to care. Which leads me to this week's Savage Tweet of the Week. Ryback was at home watching SmackDown, because, I mean, what the fuck else is there for Ryback to do? He tagged Vince McMahon, and he tweeted, You can give Monsoor Steve Austin's music, and he still won't be over. Holy shit, your product fucking sucks. Now, while he certainly isn't completely wrong in what he said in that tweet, and and Monsoor was not over on this show, that's also true, I don't know why he felt the need to single out Mansoor. And Mansoor got him back good by tweeting a screen grab of Ryback's pathetic Twitter poll from a few months ago that I talked about. Actually, I'm sure that one for said tweet at the time, Ryback had put a poll up to see where he wanted the fans to, or where the fans wanted to see him return in 2021. And he listed AEW, NXT, Impact, or Retire. He put retire on there as an option. And retire won in a landslide, 72% of the vote. After which he tried again, and he included the same retire option because he was clearly just trying to bait people into talking about him. Just to say anything about him, because nobody does anymore. I mean, it, it doesn't get any sadder than that. So Monsoor took a screen grab of that poll with 72% of the people saying retire, and that was his response to Ryback. So good on Mansoor for sticking up for himself. Hit Row made its SmackDown debut. Isaiah Swerve Scott, Ashanti the Adonis, Top Dalla, and Beef, or as uh, Sonya Deville called them, uh, called him a few weeks ago, Top Dollar. That was during the draft when they drafted Hit Row to SmackDown. We we draft Top Dollar to, Smack, to SmackDown. Top Dollar. And BFAB. PW Insider reported that the plan is to push Top Dalla as a single star 
of the group with Swerve and Adonis as the tag team, which is the opposite of how it was on NXT, where Swerve was the single and it was Adonis and Top Dollar as the team, which is the way that it should still be. I'm not saying that Top Dollar can't break out as a single star eventually, but I definitely would not be starting him out as one. I would start him out in a team with Ashanti the Adonis. You have the big guy, you have the smaller guy. I think it makes for a good dynamic. I think it gives another tag team in the tag team division, a division that can sorely use new teams. Swerve should, you know, be on his own. Here on this show, it was Swerve and Top Dollar as the team. But if their report is correct... That will not be the case going forward. This was just a quick squash win to establish them on TV. Boy, you know, Top Dollar getting a singles push right out of the gate, being rewarded nicely for all of his recent social media activity, standing up for the company, standing up for WWE. If you just look at the three of them, it's not surprising that Vince McMahon would see more potential in Top Dollar. Some of the, look, some of the members of Hit Row may do well, but they will not all do well. It is just a matter of who makes it and who doesn't. The Hit Row that I love from NXT is going to look very different in six months or a year than it does right now. The main roster has them now. They're going to look very different when we're having this podcast discussion a year from now. Happy Corbin picked up a non-title win over Shinsuke Nakamura. We have we have new rosters with these two shows. The draft changes went into effect on this show, and we are still getting Baron Corbin wrestling Shinsuke Nakamura. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I hope that this was just to give the people on the Saudi show a rest. And they were short on bodies, and so they just put these two in the ring together. We'll know... Because Corbin won. If this leads to a title match and they're going to continue this shit, I'm going to fucking scream. And then, we had one of the worst segments on WWE television all year. A championship belt swap. How exciting. Just saying that out loud gets me so excited I I can't hardly stand it. With Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Becky, earlier in the show, teased wanting to become Becky Two Belts again. So I thought maybe they had some kind of big swerve planned here for this segment. We had had one swerve earlier in the show making his debut. I thought we were getting maybe another swerve here, but that was giving them a little too much credit creatively. Once she was out there, though, I guess Becky must have forgotten everything that uh, she, she had said because she didn't seem too concerned about becoming Becky Two Belts. Sonya Deville was in the ring with both women. And they literally just handed the titles over to each other. Well, I mean, to to be more accurate, neither woman wanted to give up her belt. Becky went to go grab the Raw women's title out of Charlotte's hand. And Charlotte instead dropped it on the ground. And then Becky threw her title at Charlotte. Great way to treat your titles, by the way. Let's just throw them away like uh, pieces of garbage. I'm surprised they didn't stomp on them, too, or maybe take a dump on them while they were at it. They did more to devalue their two women's championships in this one segment than anything else they have done all year long. Charlotte challenged Becky to a winner-take-all match right then and there since she wants to be Becky Two Belts so badly. That brought out Sasha Banks. 
Becky said, I'll see one of you at Survivor Series, and she left. And uh, the great heel that she is, she got chance of Becky from the crowd. Sasha and Charlotte went at it for a little bit. Sasha hit a meteora off the ring apron to the floor to end the segment. This was fucking horrendous. They did the exact thing that I said I did not want them to do, and now you see why. No one came out of this looking great. No one came out of this looking any better than they did going into it. I mean, other than maybe Sasha looked uh, great, I guess, in this segment, because she was the last one standing. We still don't know what this means for the lineage of the titles. I assume Charlotte is now a 13-time women's champion. I believe it counted as a new reign for the New Day the last time they did this with them, the belt swap stuff. So it's just another way to pad her, her bloated title resume and get her that much closer to number 17. These two look like a couple of spoiled brats out there. That's how they came off. That's how their characters came off here in this segment. And yes, they're supposed to be heels. Your, your women's champions out there looking like a couple of spoiled brats throwing their belts around and having a temper tantrum. And it was not meant to go down exactly the way that it did. This, according to an initial report that we got from PW Insider. So let's take it back first to Friday night. After Rampage went off the air, which was uh, taped on Wednesday, Andrade had the best match of his AEW run so far in a loss to Pack. Just a fucking great match. After which, he tweeted, F-U-W-W-E, with a bunch of exclamation points. No context given. Now, I thought, because I was streaming at the time, and I'm, I'm being told, oh, Andrade just tweeted, and then I found out what he tweeted. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is his way of expressing himself that WWE never allowed him to go out on the main roster and have the kind of match that we saw him have on Rampage. Because it was the best Andrade match since his NXT Championship defense at TakeOver Philadelphia against Johnny Gargano. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was better than that, but that was as good of an Andrade match as I have seen since that TakeOver match. And that's going back a few years. So I thought, okay, maybe that's what it's about, because we didn't have any context to any of this. I mean, it just it just came off of sour grapes. Here's a former WWE guy not willing to let it go. You just had this great match. What the fuck are you going on Twitter for and bashing them? Focus on the fact that you just had this great match. Of course, I was not aware of any of the backstage stuff that was going on at that time and all the reports that, that would come out later on. But initially, that's what I just sort of assumed that this was about. Then WrestleVotes tweeted that there was more to the story. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, Mike Johnson posted on PW Insider, and Sean Ross Sapp also confirmed, there was a confrontation after the show, a shouting match, when SmackDown went off the air in the back at the gorilla position between Charlotte and Becky. Charlotte reportedly voiced concerns to WWE management earlier in the day about the segment before the show even went on the air. And was very clear that she was worried it might make her look weak. She didn't want to be made to look weak. Nor did she want her title reign to look weak. Despite those concerns, the segment went on as planned. No changes were made. So even Charlotte recognized how dumb this segment was. But of all the women on the roster to be concerned about being made to look weak, 
it would be Charlotte Flair, the most protected woman on the entire roster. The woman who is going to end up with more title reigns than they had minutes of actual wrestling on this show on Friday. Charlotte is worried that she is going to look weak. Now, during the segment, they had an awkward exchange where Charlotte jerked her title away from Becky when Becky tried to grab it away from her. And in doing so, Charlotte dropped it on the ground. That was not supposed to happen. And then Becky threw her belt at Charlotte, which was apparently planned. Once Flair got to the back, there was a confrontation between the two over Charlotte allegedly disrespecting Becky by trying to make her look bad. That's, that's what one source told Mike Johnson. There were loud words exchanged between the two of them. It never got physical. They didn't start pulling hair. They weren't rolling around on the ground. They weren't trying to put their finishing moves on each other. Fightful said that Charlotte was asked to leave the venue before Becky's dark match was over to avoid any further confrontation. She was then escorted out of the building by a WWE official which I'm guessing is what led to that tweet from Andrade. His fiancée was escorted out of the building. She was escorted off the premises. And then came the tweet from him saying, F-U-W-W-E. I find all of this behind-the-scenes drama far more interesting than anything they have done on television with any of these women. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social theme slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase Now, according to Alex McCarthy of TalkSport, the friendship between Charlotte and Becky has been strained ever since Becky called Charlotte plastic during a promo on TV a couple of years ago. And things have apparently been tense between the two of them ever since. I mean, Charlotte today looks unrecognizable from the Charlotte of just a few years ago. Now, to each their own, it's her body, she can do what she wants, but I guess she is very sensitive to people using that word. She recently revealed also to Renee Young on her podcast that she and Becky are not as close as they used to be. So we already knew that not all was rosy. Not that they're enemies, but we we already knew that things were not as they used to be. From her own mouth, between Charlotte and Becky. McCarthy also reported that Charlotte lobbied to lose her title clean to Bianca Belair on Raw last Monday. The two of them had a great match on Raw. I didn't get a chance to talk about Raw because what's the point? You know, it was a go-home show to a pay-per-view that I've already talked about. But I I did want to mention that. That match with Charlotte and Bianca at the end of Raw Monday night was, was excellent with a horrible DQ finish. And Charlotte is said to be 
again, this is according to McCarthy. Charlotte is said to be a big fan of Bianca's and thought the finish of that match killed what could have been a big win for her. And that was the point that I was going to make to bring it back to how all of this could have been solved. And by the way, if that's true, hat tip to Charlotte for wanting to do the right thing. It does have to be mentioned, though, in the interest of, of uh, fairness here, that Alex was the person who Charlotte reached out to a while back to clarify Andrade's uh, pregnancy comments when the rumors were flying around about why she missed this year's WrestleMania. She went to Alex. So if she is a source of his, this could very well be coming from Charlotte herself. This, this could be coming from Charlotte's camp directly. Paints her in a very rosy light, doesn't it, right? Her lobbying against the belt swap segment, her lobbying to put over Bianca for the belt and wanting to do the right thing last Monday. I'm just saying, we, we can't discount that as a possibility. Wade Keller on the uh, Pro Wrestling Torch site got his own report up yesterday that the women's locker room in WWE is largely on Becky's side, with one wrestler saying that Charlotte has been increasingly difficult to work with. There was another wrestler who said that nobody wants to work with her. You know, I mean, look, after her program with Rhea Ripley, can you blame them? Look how that turned out. But to bring it back to the whole Charlotte-Bianca thing from, from Monday night, absolutely the right thing to do would have been to have Bianca Belair pin Charlotte to win the Raw Women's Championship last Monday. And if it is true that Charlotte pitched that very idea and was rejected, this ain't the first time that WWE has made a dumb decision not changing their women's title. Becky Lynch herself admitted in an interview the same thing happened to her last year when she, she just assumed going into WrestleMania 36, you know, before the pandemic hit, she just assumed that she was going to lose her Raw Women's title to Shayna Baszler. Shayna the Vampire, who had just been called up. Remember that first appearance on Raw where she bit Becky on the neck and she, she's bleeding all over the place? They were building to Becky and Shayna, who had a dominant run on NXT as the NXT Women's Champion. And Becky just assumed, as a lot of fans probably did, that Shayna's going to win the championship at WrestleMania. And they're going to establish her as a, you know, the new top heel on that brand in the women's division. And then she found out that that was not the plan. And Becky claims that she actually pitched the idea herself that she should lose to Shayna. And she got turned down. She got rejected. So instead, we ended up with a forgettable match between them. And Becky ended up giving the belt up anyway a month later when she found out she was pregnant. And Shayna went on to spend the next half a year tagging with Nia Jax. You talk about wasting six months of your career. Or more. It felt like a year. She was tagging with Nia Jax for far too long. But this whole situation could have been avoided. This terrible segment on SmackDown and all the drama that followed could have been avoided by not doing a title swap in the first place. Can you imagine Roman Reigns doing a title swap? You can't picture it, can you? You know why? Because he would never allow it to happen. He would laugh it off. Imagine having Stone Cold and The Rock swap the WWF and the WCW belt if they did a brand split during the invasion. It's too ridiculous to even conceive of such a thing. Now, they wouldn't have to do a belt swap because those belts had neutral names. It's not like even if they had two brands, it was you know, as long as it wasn't the Raw title and the SmackDown title, then it doesn't matter. That, that's part of the problem here. But 
If you can't visualize it for any of those guys, why is it acceptable to have your two top women's champions come out and swap belts like they're fucking Yu-Gi-Oh cards? The solution to this mess would have been to have Bianca win the Raw women's title on Monday from Charlotte, and then at Crown Jewel have Sasha Banks win the triple threat to keep the SmackDown title on SmackDown. And then, at Survivor Series... We get the proper singles match between Sasha and Bianca that we never got to see at SummerSlam. Raw versus SmackDown. Problem solved. But no. They make a mess, and they try to lick it up with their tongues. Instead of using the fucking paper towels that are sitting right over there on the kitchen counter. They're right there. All you gotta do is reach over and grab them. Here's an even better idea going forward so we can avoid this in the future. You don't even need to unify the title. That, I don't even think you need to do that. I would much rather see them unify the tag team titles rather than unify these two. You don't even need to unify the two women's titles. Either give the belts new names that don't identify a specific brand like the WWE and Universal titles. They already do it. Or make it so that your champions are not eligible to be drafted. Give the champions draft protection. They earn draft protection by being a champion on their respective brand. A lot of the problems that WWE ends up with are self-inflicted. This is just another example of that. Let's shift over to AEW. The final Saturday episode of Dynamite aired last night, hopefully the last one for a while. Uh, I did not do a stream, so I'll just share my thoughts on the show here. First, though, some notes. Jim Ross was diagnosed with skin cancer this week on his leg. He did not specify what kind, but he said that he is waiting to see what the course of treatment will be, likely radiation. Open for the best for JR and that it was caught early. Uh, I just had a biopsy done myself at the uh, dermatologist's office a few weeks ago. Get yourself checked. Don't be stupid and take any chances. If you see or feel something that does not seem right, get it checked out. At the time that I recorded the podcast last Sunday, we only had the Fast Nationals that uh, somebody in WWE allegedly leaked. The full numbers came out the day after for the head-to-head battle between SmackDown and Rampage a couple weeks ago. And Rampage, uh, as it turned out, yes, it lost to SmackDown in terms of total viewers, which I knew they would. But AEW did, in fact, beat WWE in the 18-49 to demo, 328,000 to 285,000. So Tony Khan, in the end, was correct. He did beat WWE head-to-head, but only if you count some of the demos. A lot of the AEW talent had fun with this on social media because the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar contract signing for Crown Jewel tied in the demo with the Rampage match between Ruby Soho and The Bunny. The Bunny tied the Tribal Chief. Acknowledge her. On Rampage Friday night, AEW revealed the bracket for the Women's TBS title tournament. We've got Anna Jay against Jamie Hayter. The Bunny against Red Velvet. Serena Deeb in a rematch against Hikaru Shida, who is still looking for her 50th win in AEW. And Penelope Ford against Ruby Soho, which took place last night with Ruby advancing to the next round against Chris Statlander, one of 
four women to receive a bye into the next round. Statlander, Thunder Rosa, Jade Cargill, and Nyla Rose all get buys into the tournament based on their current rankings. They all round out the top five after Ty Conti, who will challenge Britt Baker for the championship at full gear. I've got Thunder Rosa and Serena as the favorites. If, if Serena wins, see, here's the thing, though. If Serena wins her match against Sheeta, she faces Nyla in the next round, which makes me think that Sheeta is going to get her win back over Serena. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't have Thunder Rosa win is because I would save her for a match against Britt Baker. I love Thunder Rosa. I think she would make a fine TBS champion, but I see bigger things for her. So, babyface-wise, I, I could see Thunder Rosa, but I... I I'm going to go with Serena Deeb as my uh, top choice, my top prediction for winning this tournament. Jade, of course, they could give it to Jade. and I mean, she's still very inexperienced, but I, I could see Jade Cargill win. But I'm going to go with Serena. Dynamite was a fun show last night. I told you not to sleep on that Brian Danielson-Dustin Rhodes match in the opening round of the world title eliminator. I thought that match kicked ass. Uh, Brian wins with a guillotine choke with the body scissors applied. Brian has been on a tear ever since his first AEW match against Omega, winning all of his matches in different ways. You know, he, he won here with a guillotine. He's won with the flying knee. He's won with cattle mutilation when he, when he beat Nick Jackson that time. Uh, he's just been an absolute joy to watch in the ring. But so is Dustin, just a, a really great pro wrestling match. Back-to-back excellent matches going from that Pac Andrade main event on Friday right into Brian and Dustin in the opener on Saturday. Darby Allen is still out after being attacked by MJF and the Pinnacle a few weeks ago, so Tony Schiavone brought out Sting to give us an update on his son. But before he could get a word in, MJF interrupted and cut a scathing promo on Sting, joking about all the snow that we see during his entrance being left over from his stash from the 80s and blaming Sting's negligence for his uh, his son Darby, ending up the same way as his other friend, Lex Luger. And he started to say, in a wheelchair, before Sting decked him. Wardlow and Sean Spears ran down to make it three-on-one. Spears got in some chair shots on Sting. MJF cut a promo on Darby right into the camera while... Darby's dad was laying at his feet, and then he hit Sting with his dynamite diamond ring when he staggered back up to his feet. Uh, They're setting up for a a big pop for Darby's return, which could be in Boston this Wednesday. I thought MJF was great here. Uh, Later on in the back, Wardlow went up to him and said, look, you and I got to talk. He was very upset that MJF threw him in harm's way and sacrificed him to Sting a baseball bat shot the week before from Sting. And I'm glad they didn't just ignore that. I'm glad they brought that up here. And MJF said, look, big man, it's, you know what? It's not fair that you've got to watch my back all by yourself. It's a full-time job. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to appoint Sean Spears here to be your accountability buddy, is what he called him. Oh, it's coming. The slow build to the split continues. Wardlow is going to make a a great babyface. I've always said that. The setup is there, though, for a tag team match with Sting and Darby against MJF and Wardlow at full gear instead of a a straight singles match if they wanted to do it. I think I would do the singles match. I would do MJF one-on-one against Darby. That's, That's been the issue that's been built up here. 
It's not really about Wardlow. It's not really about Sting. I would save the tag team match for TV. So do the singles match at full gear and then do a tag match with Sting and Darby against MJF and Wardlow. And that could be where the split happens, maybe, with MJF and, and Darby, or uh, rather MJF and Wardlow. You know, maybe if they do another one of those big Winter is Coming TV shows in December like they did last year, maybe they do the tag match on that show. Ruby Soho advanced over Penelope Ford in the TBS tournament. Uh, not a not a very good match. She was decent. I want to see Ruby in there with Statlander in the next round and see what they can do. And then if Serena advances, we could get Ruby against Serena Deeb in the semifinals, which I think could be great. Bobby Fish beat Anthony Green. And when the match was over, Fish went and beat him up some more. That brought out CM Punk, who didn't need his music. Finally, a sensible babyface who doesn't wait for his theme music to start playing before he runs down to the ring to make a save. They waited and played his music after he had already arrived. And uh, Fish bailed out of the ring and was teasing that he wanted, you know, Punk in a match. It has since been made official. It will be CM Punk against Bobby Fish. I'm sure it's going to be a very good match. Gets Punk on TV in a match that he could win. I don't mind having, you know, Bobby Fish beat lower-level guys like Anthony Green. Uh, or, uh, God, who who is he in the match with last week? Um, uh, Lee Moriarty, I believe, on Rampage is who he wrestled last week. He could beat all those guys and then go in there against the bigger names like Danielson and like Punk and just be a very competent, capable wrestler who can go in there and feed them wins and put them over because it's not about Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish is not the star here. Danielson is. CM Punk is. You know, people like Hangman Page and Darby, those are the stars. Bobby Fish is someone who can go in there, give you a good match, put you over. I I have no problem with them using him in that role. Anthony Green, by the way, was not the only former 205 Live name featured on this show. Tony Nese, former uh, Cruiserweight champion in WWE, he was shown multiple times on camera sitting in the crowd through, I would say, the first half of the show, and is said to be working the dark tapings this weekend, so he may have already signed a deal. He probably did. I mean, the way they were acknowledging him on TV as uh, one of the hottest free agents in wrestling, I I don't think they'd be doing that if he probably didn't already have some kind of a contract or some kind of agreement with them. There was a very scary moment in the world title eliminator first-round match between Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston where Archer came off the top rope for a moonsault, and Eddie rolled out of the way, and Archer did not rotate his body enough, and he landed right on top of his head, and that's a big dude with a lot of weight coming down on that on that head. The referee checked on him immediately. He rolled out to the floor. He was being looked at by the doctor to see if he could continue. Uh, he got back inside so that Eddie could roll him up and pin him, so they quickly improvised the finish to get out of there. I don't think he needed to get back in there at all. I mean, if the referee had stopped the match due to injury, everybody saw what happened. Everybody knew how serious, you know, potentially it was. Uh, I don't think anybody would have would have cared. I think people would have understood. You know, when you're dealing with a possible neck injury, uh, you, you don't take any chances. After the show, Archer tweeted that he was okay, and he said, listen, we choose to do this and take our health and lives in our hands every night. I have done that move hundreds of times over my career. I just under-rotated. Could have been much worse. Thank you to all at AEW for taking amazing care of me and protecting me. I will be back. 
Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Dan Lambert and the men of the year were in the ring cutting a promo on the inner circle jerk. Sammy Guevara came out and called Lambert a fat-faced dipshit. Boy, the uh, the cuss words were flying here in this segment. They just I think they're they're competing with themselves to see how many how many cuss words they can fit in a single segment. When we get the inner circle and Lambert's crew on TV, Lambert said at full gear they're going to have that ten man tag match that Jericho asked for. If and only if Sammy puts his TNT title on the line this Wednesday against Ethan Page. And if Guevara loses, not only does he lose his TNT championship, but he must leave the inner circle forever. And Guevara accepted on the condition that if he wins, the inner circle gets to choose which members of America's top, is it America's top team? American top team. America's funniest videos. He gets to choose which members of American top team they get to face at full gear, which makes me think maybe we're going to get Lambert in the ring. Uh, the heels walked up the ramp. They were going to go after Sammy on stage. The other members of the inner circle ran out to fight them off, all except for Jericho, who is on his cruise. He is on the high seas. If it wasn't for COVID, there would, there would have been live dynamite matches on the ship back in February when it was originally scheduled. I remember being on the cruise last year, and they said next year we're going to do dynamite matches on the ship. And, uh, well, things... Things didn't exactly turn out that way for various reasons. There was a backstage promo. He was in a darkened room somewhere with John Moxley that I thought was actually quite great. And he talked about how he's supposed to be yelling and screaming and getting all fired up about this world title eliminator tournament, but he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about his daughter, his newborn daughter. And he told the story about putting his his pinky, his broken pinky finger out, and how she grabbed onto it and was holding onto it for dear life. And he said when he's with her, he realizes that none of this other stuff matters. Not the tournament, not the AEW world title, not social media, not the ratings, not the demo. None of it matters. What he cares about is getting home in one piece for his family. All the teeth in his mouth. And in order for that to happen, other people have to get hurt. So his message to everybody in the tournament is, I'll get you before you get me. A man talking about the bond between father and daughter does not strike me as having the uh, makings of a heel turn, unless he is not letting on exactly how much the AEW title really does matter to him, and then when he loses, he finally snaps. It could still happen. It could still have. The John Moxley heel turn could still happen. This was definitely not a heel promo, though. This was great stuff. This uh, this felt real. I liked him bringing the family. I liked him bringing the daughter into it. Jungle Boy beat Brandon Cutler. After the match, Jungle Boy grabbed the mic, and he said that, that was a nice little warm-up. I'm feeling pretty good, though, for another match. I could go again. And he called out any of the elite pieces of shit to come down to the ring. That's the most fire I've heard out of Jungle Boy on the mic his entire career in AEW. And when none of them came out, he put the snare trap on Cutler again, and finally Adam Cole comes out. Adam Cole is, is, has fast become my favorite uh, part of the Elite. <laughs> I have grown to uh, not stand a lot of the other members, and uh, Adam Cole is, is my favorite of all the members. He's the one that I like and I can tolerate the most. He called Jungle Boy an embarrassment. He said that they could have a fight right here and now. 
and he came down to the ring. He got punched off the apron. But the Young Bucks were behind Jungle Boy. He turned around right into a double super kick. They dragged him to the top of the ramp. They hit the BTE trigger. And Cole then lowered the boom to the back of the head. They all then grabbed Jungle Boy, and they threw him off stage. He took this great bump through two tables down below. He laid there like he was dead. And obviously they're setting up for Jungle Boy against Adam Cole at full gear. And in the main event, we had Cody Rhodes against Malachi Black to complete the trilogy. I was hoping that they would put Black over Cody in their second match. He won the first match. That was great. Then they said they're going to have a second match. And I said, you know what they should do? They should have Malachi Black win again. And they did. Even though he had a cheat to do it, but he still won. I had no illusions about who was winning match number three with the redemption story they've been telling with Cody on TV. I knew exactly who was going to win this match. I was hoping I'd be wrong, but I knew who was winning this match. So they went with the redemption story, and they went with the babyface win. It did not get the reaction that I'm sure they were all hoping for. Cody went for the figure four. Black gouged his eyes, rolled to the floor. He grabbed the chair. He threw it into the ring. Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson are coming down to the ring. And at that point, they go to commercial. During the break... They actually did a, a big spot during the break. Cody hit a crossroads off the apron through a table at ringside. While the cat, so they come back, they show us a replay of what we missed. I mean, it was picture in picture, but if you missed it, they showed it again. While the camera was focused on Art Anderson in the ring, he was in the ring for the distraction because Cody and, and uh, Black were outside. Very clearly, they were blading themselves because they both came up bleeding. Wouldn't you know? But it took forever. So the camera was focused the entire time on armed Anderson in the ring. Here comes Andrade down to the ring, and he does the Glock Anderson pose, the, uh, the gun-firing pose with his, with his hand. His assistant, Jose, is in the ring. Arn Anderson doesn't realize that Jose has the uh, laptop. And as he charges in at Arn Anderson, Arn grabs Jose, he gives him a spine buster, and as soon as Arn gets back up to his feet, though, Malachi is there with the black mist to the face. Down goes Armed Anderson. Pack comes out. He and Andrade brawl to the back. The crowd is going nuts during all of this. Malachi hits a springboard moonsault. Cody, though, pops up and hits a crossroads for a near fall. And, again, the crowd at this point is loud, and they are completely 100% behind Malachi Black. Now, remember, when I talked about this a few weeks ago, the possibility that maybe Cody might go heel, I forgot what city they were. Actually, it might have been New York when they were at uh, Arthur Ashe. And Cody got booed. And I said, well, it's New York. I don't know that this necessarily means Cody is going heel, because he's talked about the fact, look, I'm not going heel. I'm not trying to swerve everybody. It's just not something I'm interested in. I'm a dad now, and I've got these different reality shows that I'm doing. I'm not going heel. And a lot of people said, oh, sure, sure, sure. But he got booed in New York, and I said, let's wait and see what the reaction is in other cities. Because maybe he got booed in New York City, but they go to, you know, North Carolina, and they go to Boston, and they go to Orlando or Chicago, and they go to these other places, and maybe he gets cheered like a babyface. Let's just see how the fans react to him in other cities. And they were in Orlando last night. You could add Orlando to the list with New York. These people booed Cody the entire time. 
Almost anything he did, they booed, and they cheered Malachi Black like he was the conquering babyface. So we have our answer as far as whether or not it was just isolated to New York. But he hit the black mask kick. Cody fell into the ropes. He was lying there dead on the bottom rope. Malachi was trying to get him back to the center of the ring. Cody went out to the floor. He avoided a moonsault. He hit a tope through the ropes. Back inside, he hit the Cody cutter and the crossroads. And it looked like he was about to hit a pedigree. But he hit the Tiger Driver 98 instead, and he got the pin. Cody wins the finale. But he does not win the feud. Just based on sheer numbers, Black has two wins over him. Cody only has one. But now Black can move on. There's no need to continue this. Black can move on to something else. This does not need to, you know, go any further. It doesn't kill him or anything like that. I would not have beaten Malachi Black. And based on the crab reaction, they wouldn't have beaten him either. They wanted badly to see him win. But Cody wanted his redemption story, so he got it. It was a fun match, and the crowd was hot for it. But I have to say, if the idea of this Roads to the Top show that they're doing was to get Cody and Brandy over as big baby faces, it has been a colossal failure so far. Actually, it was, it's been a colossal failure, period, because they just aired the season finale of Roads to, to the Top, which I didn't watch. And uh, you look at the reaction that Cody got last night, yeah, I, I would say that if if, if even part of the idea was that maybe it would get them over as bigger baby faces, then I don't see how you can see this as anything other than a fail. Now, on Dynamite this Wednesday in Boston, Sammy Guevara defends the TNT title against Ethan Page. CM Punk one-on-one against Bobby Fish. The Dark Order take on the Elite. And this, by the way, is going to be the Halloween episode. So you're going to have a lot of people dressed up in costumes, cosplaying as, uh, you know, God knows who. TBS title tournament match, Serena Deeb one-on-one against Hikaru Shida. And John Moxley takes on Preston Vance, number 10 of the Dark Order in the World Title Eliminator. On Rampage this upcoming Friday, World Title Eliminator, Brian Danielson one-on-one against Eddie Kingston. And Leo Rush teams up with Dante Martin to take on Mike and Matt Seidel. I can already tell that is going to be an impossible match to take notes on. So... It's different when you're just watching the show or you're trying to actually keep some notes on, on at least some of the moves and some of the spots. That match is uh, going to be a challenge. But those are the lineups for this upcoming week. This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, affordable, private, online therapy that can start helping you right now. place to go is BetterHelp.com slash Solomonster. I got a great response from you guys when I mentioned this last week, which is awesome. Not not just because they're a sponsor of the show, which is great, but because I know it's a resource that can actually help a lot of people. If there is something that is stopping you from achieving your goals or something that's interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can have communication going between the two of you in less than 48 hours. It's that quick. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not a self-help resource. These are professional counselors who are trained to do this for a living, done safely and securely online. You send a message to your counselor at any time. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in a waiting room somewhere around other people. 
I mean, look, it's understandable that that can make some people feel awkward, especially if they've never spoken with a therapist before. If you've never gone to therapy before and you go for the first time and you're sitting in someone's office and there's other people sitting and staring, you're all looking at each other trying to figure out, I wonder what that guy's problem is. I wonder what that woman's issue is. This takes all of that. All the awkwardness is completely removed from the process. When you visit BetterHelp.com slash Solomon, so you'll answer a series of questions to help match you with the right therapist for your needs without limiting yourself only to the people who live near you. They have licensed counselors that specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, LGBT matters, self-esteem issues, sleep problems. It's affordable, and anything you share is completely confidential. We all have issues in our lives, some more serious than others. There is no shame and asking for help. And that's why BetterHelp exists, to extend a hand to people who need someone to talk to. They really do help people, and they can help you too. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start living a happier life today. As a listener of the Sound Off, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Solomonster. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Solomonster. We have two days until Halloween Havoc. NXT had its go-home show on Tuesday. I love how, because they want to appear hip and cool for the younger audience, Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett now dress like hipsters at an internet cafe. It looks like Johnny Gargano is back to being the babyface. He interrupted a segment with the new North American champion, Carmelo Hayes, and Trick Williams. He talked about Austin Theory being on Raw and Indy Hartwell being married and his wife being pregnant. He's done with all the fun now. He has lost his way time to get back on track. He challenged Carmelo Hayes to a title match, and uh, Williams said that Gargano needs to worry about his daughter, referring to uh, Indy Hartwell. said that uh, Hartwell has been shooting into Melo's DMs all week, is what the champion said. And Gargano was just kind of playing along to all this, and all of a sudden we had Dexter Loomis appeared, and he snuck up behind uh, Trick Williams and put him in a choke, and Hayes dragged Williams out of the ring. So it looks like we're going to get a tag team match soon, and then Gargano is going to be challenging for the North American title. Later in the show, Hayes realized that his North American title was missing, and he and Williams found a note inside of a locker that had a bunch of Halloween decorations and lights inside of it. 
inviting them to a haunted house hosted by Dexter Loomis at Halloween Havoc. It's not enough that we have people being kidnapped every other week on this show. Now property is being abducted as well. Imperium got a win over the Creed Brothers from Diamond Mine, but it was a cheap roll-up win after interference by Kushida and Aikamanjiro. MSK ran in to attack Imperium after the match and indicated that they wanted to defend their tag team titles against them at Halloween Havoc. I don't think Imperium can really afford another loss. I mean, they won here, but we've been seeing them, I feel like, losing more than winning. I just think you save the tag team title change, though, for the Creed Brothers, and you have them be the ones to bring in more gold to Diamond Mine. Uh, Meanwhile, the boos continue to rain down for MSK, and I have been trying to figure out what happened that has caused people to turn against these two guys. And now we have one possible answer. Bodyslam.net posted a story yesterday that mentioned a recent Reddit post suggesting they're being booed because of an old tweet that Nash Carter posted, one half of MSK, three years ago, criticizing a then 13-year-old Izzy. Remember Izzy, the young Bailey superfan from the full-sale days of NXT? Now she's involved with different independent wrestling promotions, and she's doing commentary, she's managed people. I said at the time, you know, one day, watch, Izzy is going to grow up, and she's going to beat the fuck out of Bailey. Said you got to watch that girl. But the belief, according to this report, the belief, and this again stems from some, some Reddit posts, and it's not just Reddit posts, obviously Bodyslam.net followed up on this. The belief is that Izzy's parents held a grudge against the guy for whatever it was that he, I couldn't find the tweet, but whatever it was that he tweeted, maybe he took it down. And they got a group of fans at the CWC to boo them and get very vocal whenever MSK would walk out. Now, even if it's only a handful of people, they have maybe 150 people in the audience. I mean, now they can fit a little bit more than they could before. It's not a lot of people, though, in that building at the Performance Center. So all you really need to do is get a few people who are loud enough. They can make a lot of noise. And it can almost seem like the entire crowd is booing. Now, Bodyslam.net claims to have sources that have told them that there is truth to the report. They say that her parents, as well as the group of fans they convinced to join in on the booing, were asked to move off the hard camera side because they could be seen booing the team when they came out. Here's more of the report. Go back and watch NXT before TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Their posse is on the hard cam every show, according to one source. After TakeOver, a decision was made to move them off the hard cam because of the booing of MSK, but by then the crowd had been ingrained to boo them because it was the cool thing to do. The group cannot be seen in their usual spot in the audience in the episodes of NXT following Stand and Deliver, and reportedly moved away from the main camera's view following the event. Now, this is where the report gets pretty nutty, but given how insane some wrestling fans are, I can absolutely believe it. One source even said that they had overheard a member of the group that was not Izzy or her parents suggest that they should chant Your Dad's Dead to Carter after the NXT superstar had been vocal on social media about the 12th anniversary of his father's passing in February. NXT officials were reportedly notified of the comment by a nearby audience member. That is just batshit crazy. 
But it makes about as much sense as any other explanation that I've tried to come up with for why these two guys suddenly started getting booed on TV. Uh, you know, you could say, well, maybe the crowd turned against them too much too soon. I, I don't get that sense. It just, it's almost like it just started happening and then it just snowballed from there. Again, like the crowd picked up on it being the cool thing to do, but like I can never figure out what it was that they did or what it was that they said that would have led to people booing them so much. And uh, now it looks like we might have an answer. We got a wacky training skit in the woods with Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner running with logs and playing lumberjack by taking an axe to a tree. Paul Bunyan over here. They shared a beer at the end of this. I, I still think this pairing is very awkward, but uh, the vignette was entertaining enough. There was a triple trek match with one member of each of the three women's teams fighting each other at Halloween Havoc to decide who would spin the wheel to choose the stipulation for the match this Tuesday. Spinning the wheel gives you no discernible advantage over your opponents, so I don't know why it even matters who spins the wheel. Seems kind of stupid to me. Io Shirai versus Persia Parada versus J.C. Jane. Unfortunately, there was a bad botch and an injury to Jane when she tried a suicide dive through the ropes and her feet got caught on the middle rope. And she crashed straight down on her face. And her arm and her shoulder, and she tried to continue, but she could not. She left the match midway through. You know, that happened once on a spot on Raw, actually, in a match. Because it could happen to anybody. But you, you, you do see people in NXT who don't have as much experience. It is the developmental show now. Uh, you know, when they try certain things, it kind of makes you cringe. This, though, is just such a basic spot at this point. Every fucking person does a suicide dive in every match. You don't really even think anything of it anymore. I've ranted enough on dives. I mean, you know my thoughts on this. But it, it happened once before on Raw, Sasha Banks against Asuka. Remember that? Uh, I mean, scared the hell out of me. Sasha was coming out of the ring, and I think her feet got caught on the middle rope, and she just went straight down. And it was a miracle that she didn't break her neck. But she left the match. Uh, I have not heard or read anything further about her condition or what her status is for Tuesday. Uh, to their credit, EO and, and, and Persia, they did a good job of adjusting on the fly and finishing the match, which saw EO pick up the win with her moonsault. So EO spun the wheel, and it landed on Scareway to Hell ladder match. So there is your stipulation for the women's tag team title match on Tuesday. Tony D'Angelo is back in action. Picking up a quick win over newcomer Ru Feng. Samantha Irvin interviewed D'Angelo in the ring after the match, and she noted that Last Legend's producer went missing, and she wanted to know if Tony had anything to do with that or knew anything about it. And D'Angelo asked her if she's a snitch and said that he doesn't know anything. And D'Angelo gave her a wad of cash and told her, go get something nice for yourself and forget about it. This guy's fucking great. L.A. Knight beat Grayson Waller to win the right to host Halloween Havoc. This is why L.A. Knight went undrafted, so that he could play host. Like he's fucking Pat Sajak. This is why he went undrafted. Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker did the Can They Coexist deal in the main event, which we got... Multiple times, in fact, on TV this week, because they did it again with Drew McIntyre and Big E, who were openly mocking the whole can-they-coexist thing. So now they're mocking their own stupid booking. 
twice in one week with this. Can they coexist? They beat the grizzled young veterans in the main event. Breaker looked great here. He picked up the win for his team. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Braun Breaker guy. Not the name. But this guy is going places. This leads me to my Halloween Havoc preview and prediction. Let's run this card down. I'll let you know my predictions as we go along. We are getting the debut of that newcomer, Solo Sokoa. We got another vignette for him on Tuesday, so he'll be there on Halloween Havoc. MSK. Boo! There. See, I did it. MSK against Imperium. Spin the wheel, make the deal for the NXT Tag Team Championship. Uh, I'm going to go with MSK for the win, because I think they dropped them to the Creed Brothers at the next TakeOver show. If we even get any more TakeOver show, I'm just assuming here we're going to get TakeOver at some point. Maybe they call it something different. Maybe we're not getting TakeOvers anymore. They have not said anything about uh, any upcoming TakeOver shows. Whatever the next big show is, maybe it's a big TV show, I think that's where they drop the belts. They drop. I would have them drop them to the Creed Brothers. So MSK retains here. Triple threat, scare away to hell ladder match for the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. Io Shirai and Zoe Stark defend against Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada and Gigi Dolan and JC Jane if she's physically able to. Ladder matches with some of the less experienced names can be very dangerous. I mean, they're dangerous even with the more experienced names. People get hurt in ladder matches all the time. But when you have people who are in developmental who are not as experienced, uh, I will be holding my breath a lot during this match. Toxic Attraction has been getting the big push on TV. I think Gigi and JC win the titles. Again, if JC is okay to physically go in there. Spin the wheel, make the deal for the NXT Women's Championship with Mandy Rose challenging Raquel Gonzalez. I don't think it's going to be a clean sweep for Toxic Attraction. I think Raquel is going to retain... And Tommaso Ciampa defends the NXT Championship against Braun Breaker. If it's me, I put the title on Braun Breaker. And I let him rip. And just see how he does. Because what the fuck do you have to lose? <laughs> I mean, really. What do you have to lose? This guy is the most entertaining thing on the entire show. So why not? He's going to be on the main roster. I mean, within a year, if he's not on the main roster, I'd be shocked. Because I don't think they're going to be able to resist. I think by, by the next draft, if not sooner, I think we're going to see him on Raw or SmackDown. So let's find out what, how he does when he's got a championship to defend. And you have a whole brand built around this guy. Let's see how he does. But I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're actually going to pull the trigger on it. All he needs to do is go in there and hang with Champa and show that he belongs. And I think he's going to do just fine. Prediction-wise, I think Tommaso Ciampa retains. I don't think they have the balls to put that title on Braun Breaker just yet. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. But I think Ciampa is going to retain. Dark Side of the Ring this week was Extreme and Obscene. The story of Rob Black's XPW, Extreme Pro Wrestling. They have really gone in heavy on the deathmatch stuff this season with the Nick Gage episode, Onita and FMW, and now XPW. You had Rob Zakari, better known as Rob Black, who directed porn movies, combining his love of porn and pro wrestling together to form XPW in 1999, which clearly borrowed from ECW, the spirit of ECW. It served as something of a West Coast version 
of ECW, based out of Southern California. I didn't watch XPW back then. I knew of the New Jack Vic Grimes scaffold match, and I vividly remember reading about the Messiah incident. Uh, Both subjects are covered on this episode. Black was not interviewed for the show because, as Messiah, I think it was, uh, said, it's a no-win situation for him. He really doesn't have anything to be gained by agreeing to be interviewed for this. Instead, he recorded his own podcast talking about the show and rebutting some of the things that were said about him. They talked about some of the really stupid shit that some of the XPW guys did on their shows. Luke Hawks did a 450 off a balcony through a table with thumbtacks, and the tacks were just buried so deep into his skin, he had to use a pair of pliers to pull them all out. Another time, there was an infamous flaming table spot where someone brought uh, charcoal fluid to the show. They went out. They were supposed to get lighter fluid. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Instead, they got charcoal fluid, which is oil-based. Lighter fluid is, uh, is what they usually use. It burns up real quick. And Supreme, who was a legend in deathmatch wrestling and a big star in XPW, he he died of a heart attack last year, he ended up on fire. And they have this footage of him running around, rolling out of the ring on fire. Flames are on him, and he's running around the ringside area screaming, he's just agonizing, trying to put the flames out. His flesh is just all burnt up, and it's, it's hanging off. It's just disgusting. They mentioned that Rob Black had struck up a deal with Paul Heyman to bring ECW to the West Coast. But when ECW got national TV on TNN, all of a sudden they didn't have a need for XPW anymore. And this did not sit very well with Rob Black, who held a grudge. And this eventually led to the little XPW publicity stunt at ECW's Heatwave pay-per-view in 2000, which they held in XPW's backyard, Los Angeles, right? ECW went out west. For the Heat Wave show, several XPW stars had seats in the front row that uh, Rob Black had bought for them. He bought like hundreds of dollars, I think, worth of, of tickets for the front row. And so they're sitting there, and they caused a commotion at the start of the main event between Tommy Dreamer and Just Incredible, and they were all ejected from the building. They're out in the parking lot. A giant brawl breaks out. They didn't even get into the specifics on the episode. But a lot of uh, fans knew that there was a fight going on outside, and so they ran out to go see it, which kind of killed the main event that was happening in the ring. New Jack on the episode, and, and, and boy, are they lucky they interviewed him when they did. He talked about being out there in the brawl, and I think he had just had knee surgery or something, so he had a crutch, and he's beaten the hell out of one of the XPW ring crew guys with a crutch. The following year, ECW folded, And XPW brought in some of their big names, like Terry Funk and Shane Douglas and New Jack and Sabu. All New Jack wanted to do was make money and watch porn. So he was more than happy to go work for XPW, and he claimed that Rob Black actually let him ride a forklift 
around his warehouse to help grab all of the porn DVDs that he wanted to watch. Austin drove a Zamboni to the ring. New Jack drove a forklift loaded with porn. Sounds about right. They covered New Jack's scaffold match in XPW against Vic Grimes. If you missed the New Jack episode of Dark Side of the Ring, he and Grimes had a match previously in ECW where Grimes landed on New Jack's head on a balcony dive spot. He hesitated at the last minute. He didn't want to do it. And New Jack said, motherfucker, you're coming down with me. And they come off, and Grimes is a big dude, and he landed right on New Jack's head. And he fractured New Jack's skull. He had vision loss, and it was a, a very bad injury. And New Jack never forgave him for that. And actually, I think he totally lost the vision in one of his eyes. He never forgave Vic Grimes. So he had nothing but revenge on his mind from the day that he got hurt. He was out for blood. Rob Black is the one who came up with the idea of matching them up in a scaffold match. And he wanted to flip a coin to decide who would get who would be the one to be thrown off. And New Jack told him point blank, he goes, Grimes is going off, regardless of what the coin flip says. He's going off. I'm launching him off that scaffold. And they showed this scaffold, and it's, I mean, it's way up there. And it's swaying back and forth. And you don't have a lot of room to maneuver when you're in one of these scaffold matches, which is why I've never been a fan of them. New Jack, in the middle of it, pulls out a stun gun and uses it, for real, on Vic Grimes. And then he grabs him. And you remember what New Jack said, bombs away. He throws Vic Grimes off the scaffold. And that Vic Grimes bump off the scaffold is still the scariest bump that I have ever seen in my life. The man was inches away from death. If he had just landed over a little bit more, he'd have splatted on the pavement, and that would have been the end of him. As it was, he somehow crashed through all of the, the, or some of the stacked up tables that were in the ring, bounced off the top rope, and landed in the corner of the ring. And New Jack said when he got to the back, Rob told him he thought it was great. He gave him a bonus. And New Jack felt, well, I got my revenge, so mission accomplished. And that was his last match for XPW. Mission accomplished actually isn't accurate. His goal was to kill Vic Grimes. He, he has said he wanted to kill him. He didn't want to hurt him. He didn't want to maim him. He wanted to kill him. He was aiming for the ground. So in that regard... He failed. Rob Black uh, does not come out of this looking good, but, I mean, all you need to do is read up on the guy. There's, there's no way he wasn't going to come out of this episode looking good. Lou Cox told a story about Black chewing him out backstage at a show for putting his hands up to protect himself on a chair shot to the head. And he said, we don't do that here. Which Black adamantly denies on his podcast. He says it's bullshit, that never happened. To that, I say, let's just ask Jerry Lynn, because Lou Cox in the episode says that Jerry Lynn was right there when it all went down, and Jerry Lynn pulled him aside and told him, hey, look, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's saying. Ignore what he said. So, let's ask Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn's working for AEW these days behind the scenes. If Jerry Lynn says that it happened, I will take his word over Rob Black's. And according to Luke... Rob got back at him the next time by booking an angle where his hands were cuffed 
He had him, uh, I don't know what he was hanging from, but he was cuffed. His arms were outstretched like Jesus Christ. And Black told, now this is him telling the story. This is Luke Hawk's version of the story. He says that Rob Black told Supreme to destroy him with chair shots to the skull. Now he's cuffed, so he can't protect himself. And they had the footage and they showed it. They showed it's just, it's sickening. That was his punishment for daring to protect himself by putting a hand up on a chair shot. But the most insane story is the Messiah story. And it was great that they got Messiah to be interviewed for this. Uh, Obviously, he's retired. He's not wrestling anymore. He's got a, a wife and a family now, kids. He was their top star at the time, very young, early 20s. And there were rumors about Messiah hooking up with Rob's wife, Lizzie Borden, behind his back. And Rob wanted to kill him when he found out about it. He was so livid. That spelled the end of Messiah and XPW. Now, he claims he got a phone call later on from Rob, warning him that he had three days to get out of town, or he was a dead man. And Messiah told him, I'm not running. I'm not getting on a bus and going somewhere. I'm right here. I'm not going nowhere. So Messiah works a show for Epic Pro Wrestling in 2002. New Jack actually worked that show that night also. He was shooting on Rob Black and XPW. And in the course of his shooting, New Jack mentioned that Messiah slipped Rob's wife the ding-dong. Later on, when Messiah came out, he is showered with chants of, You fucked Lizzie, you fucked his wife, and Messiah, being young and dumb, admitted it publicly for the first time. He had never responded, or or in interviews that he did, he denied that there was any truth to any of this. So this was the first time that he admitted the fact that he had sex with Rob Black's wife. He responded by saying, and she fucking loved it. Because up to that point, he had always denied it. But he said, I'm not going to be intimidated by Rob Black. That was his mindset. That was his attitude at that time. I'm not going to let this guy and his threats and his phone calls intimidate me. And Messiah got a little full of himself. Messing around with another guy's wife, I mean, let alone your boss's wife, is a pretty fucking stupid thing to be doing. I think we can all admit. There are no innocent parties here. Everybody comes out of this looking scummy. A few weeks later, there was an XPW show, forever, forever known as the Beach Ball Show. It was a terrible show. The crowd just completely hijacked it. There were beach balls being bounced around all over the place. And Messiah attended the show with a friend. Rob Black didn't know this. When things started getting out of control, he decided to leave. But word got back to Rob that Messiah was there. And he was furious. And what happened next, was crazy enough that it ended up on an episode of America's Most Wanted. Less than two weeks after that show, Messiah had just bought a Nintendo GameCube. And he was at home, he was playing the video game. Two men walk into his apartment. They open the door, they walk into the apartment. He didn't think anything of it at first because he had a a roommate. He just thought that they were friends of the roommate. So he didn't even bother, like, turning around to see who it was. In fact, he said that he just kind of looked over and said, oh, hey, what's up? As soon as he saw, though, in the reflection of the TV, one of them locking the door behind him, he knew something was up. He goes to turn around. They immediately grab him. They take him, you know, they tackle him to the ground. One guy has Messiah in a chokehold. It's not applied very well, but he's trying to choke him, or at least subdue him in a chokehold. 
The other guy grabs Messiah's right hand, he pulls out a pair of garden shears, and he proceeds to cut off Messiah's thumb. It just popped right off. And they reenacted it here in this episode. I don't, that, was, that was something else. They tried to cut off his other thumb. They were reaching for the other hand. They wanted to cut off the other thumb. He balled his hand into a fist so they couldn't get to it. They grabbed a fish tank in the apartment and smashed it over Messiah's head. They were trying to knock him out. I mean, they knocked the guy out. They can cut off pretty much anything they want. Instead, he, he staggers over to the front door. He can't open it, though. He can't unlock it because he doesn't have a fucking thumb. He's just kind of pawing away at the door. and There's blood all over the door. Now, he didn't mention this in the episode, but he did tell America's Most Wanted in 2002 that his thumbs were not the only part of his anatomy that they tried to cut off. They tried to get his pants off. And while he cannot be sure what they were trying to do, he can't say for sure, it sure sounds like they were hoping to cut off his dick. Which, if you think about it, I mean, given what, given what he did, I mean, that kind of would make sense. If, if somebody did send, you know, these two guys after him to punish him for something, I'm just saying, to punish him for something, that would seem like something that uh, you might want them to do. He claims that he managed to get an arm bar on one of the guys, and he got the door open somehow, and then the two guys ran out. Uh, I remember reading that he was stabbed multiple times when they couldn't get his pants off. So, like, how he would then have been able to get an arm bar on one of the guys, that I don't know. That, that almost sounds to me like that's classic kind of wrestler embellishing there, but I, I don't know. He was searching around for the thumb after to try to put it on ice, to try to save it. He couldn't find the thumb because they took the thumb with them. To this day, the case is considered unsolved. They never did find the thumb. They never did identify the attackers. And nor has Rob Black ever been arrested or charged in connection with the attack. Obviously, he denies having anything to do with it. I mean, look, you can make up your own mind about whether or not he had anything to do with what happened, but it's never been proven. Black and his wife ended up going to prison. Not for that. Didn't have anything to do with that. But they went to prison on obscenity charges that were tied to the distribution of the adult films that they were making and that they were selling that depicted simulated rape scenes, among other things. He was all over television during this time doing interviews. I mean, on like mainstream network television, Nightline and, you know, all these different shows defending uh, the movies that he was making and his right to them and, and, you know, First Amendment rights and that kind of stuff. And he was daring the Attorney General, who was John Ashcroft at the time, he was the Attorney General of the, of the U.S., and he was basically daring him to come after him and try to stop him. Not a very bright move on his part, to challenge the federal government and say, just bring it. Well, guess what happened? They just brought it. They came after him, and they ended up getting him. And he and his wife were facing up to 50 years in prison, potentially millions of dollars in fines. They each ended up serving a year and a day behind bars on one, I think it was just one charge. He and his wife split shortly after they got out of prison. Today, he's married, he's got a few kids, he's running a cheeseburger shop, but he's also promoting a rebirth now for XPW. 
And they're running their first show in New York on November 7th. They're holding an eight-man tournament to crown a new XPW champion. And they have some names that they're advertised. I mean, some names for the show. Rhino, Brian Cage, Willie Mack, Matt Cross, among others. Uh, so just like Onita, he too resurrected his promotion this year. Onita brought FMW back as FMWE, doing exploding exploding deathmatch uh, stuff in vegetable markets in Japan. And now XPW, he's going to give it another go. I guess what's old is new again, it seems. But that was basically the crux of the entire episode. I mean, it was... It was an extreme deathmatch promotion that pushed uh, a lot of boundaries, that incorporated a lot of sex appeal, a lot of sex, period. Uh, But the Messiah story to me was always the craziest thing I've ever really associated with XPW. I mean, that that to me is just, uh, just beyond insane. This Thursday is the season finale covering the steroid trials for George Zahorian and a fellow by the name of Vince McMahon. Saving the juiciest for last, I see. And I'll have a review up for that at some point next weekend. Let's take a few questions here and get the hell out of here. You can email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. Cordell from Milton, Delaware. If you were a wrestling manager today, who would the Solomonster be the mouthpiece for and why? Keith Lee. Or should I say Bearcat Lee? I'd say Keith Lee. I want to see Keith Lee do well. I I think I, I put my all into it. If Keith Lee is going to be a heel, like a monster heel, I could be a, a, you know kind of a mouthpiece for him put the guy over as much as I possibly can. I think Keith Lee's promos are very much hit or miss. I, I don't like when he was called up to the main roster and he was doing a lot of that uh, greetings and salutations. I thought, why is he speaking like this? This is not a good promo cadence. Maybe he shouldn't be doing his own promos. Maybe he should just be going out there and killing dudes and having somebody else do the talking for him. And I'll not even say that I would be the best at it, but I tell you what, man, I'd go out there and give it my all and try to get this fucker over as much as I can and just do my part. He could do his part in the ring. I'd like to try to help out Keith Lee and see him do well. Clark from Medicine Hat, Alberta. I hated when WWE got rid of King of the Ring after 2002. Why do you think they got rid of it as a pay-per-view? I have always been of the impression that it just didn't do as well, buy rate-wise, as their other shows did. Uh, Bruce Pritchard on his podcast has said that Vince McMahon just didn't like it. He didn't like the concept. Uh, it didn't perform well, and he just got tired of it. He wanted to change it up. So there you go. Jerome in Sin City, USA. If a desert storm never happened, then Sergeant Slaughter would not have turned heel. What would the main event have been of WrestleMania 7? I've got to think Hogan Warrior 2 with Hogan going over. And they were not happy. Vince McMahon, I guess, was not happy about Warrior's performance as champion. The ultimate goal was to, no pun intended, the ultimate goal was to get the belt back on Hogan. I think they would have just built up a a, a big marquee rematch between the two, and this time the result would have been different, and you would have had the belt on Hogan. If they wanted the belt on, on Hulk, and Warrior was the champion... 
then that would have been the only way to do it because if you take the belt off Warrior, let's say, and put it on uh, Macho King, then you end up with Macho Man against Hogan at WrestleMania. What does Warrior do? So I think it would have just been Hogan and Warrior. Christopher from East London, buy or sell on two incredible matches that do not get talked about nearly enough. Triple H against Shawn Michaels against Chris Benoit at Backlash in 2004, or Kurt Angle against The Undertaker, No Way Out, 2006. Which, in your opinion, is the better match? I remember more about Undertaker and Kurt Angle than I do the other triple threat. I, I do remember that being an excellent match. I think they're very comparable, honestly. I mean, I, I would probably, I mean, it's been so long since I've seen that triple threat. I think both of those are, you know, at least four and a half, if not higher, four and a half star matches. If you want, if you want to assign a star rating to it, I think you flip a coin, honestly. But if it's me personally, the match that I enjoyed more and remember more, it's, it's Angle against Undertaker. You could have had Kurt Angle against The Undertaker for the world title at WrestleMania 22 that year. Uh, but they said Vince McMahon just didn't want to do it. Email me your questions at solomonster at gmail.com. Uh, I will be doing more of them. I just I wanted to make sure I got a few of them in here. I know I responded to some of you directly. Uh, for those of you who may have missed it, because I put it up after I did last week's show, I did record a movie review for Halloween Kills. I did see the new Halloween film, and so my review is up on the YouTube channel. I did push the audio out to the feed as well, if you prefer that. Uh, but please do check that out and uh, give that a like if you do check it out on YouTube. I will be back with you on YouTube on Wednesday night because Dynamite is back in its normal slot. So Wednesday night after 10 p.m. I'll be live, as I will be after Rampage this upcoming Friday. And then next Sunday, Halloween Day, episode 728 of The Sound Off. A very special Halloween edition next weekend of the show, so I hope you'll join me then. Until then, be well, stay safe, have yourselves a uh, fantastic week. Thank you for all of your support with all of the content and all the streams and everything I've been doing and will continue to do as we head into the 14-year anniversary next month. Don't forget that t-shirt is also up on Pro Wrestling Tees. And I will see you back here for 728 on Halloween next Sunday. Take care, guys. The Sala Monster Sounds Off. Monday Night Raw is such an obnoxiously boring, uninspiring television show that if they want a hot shot of money in the bank, cash in, and a title change and try to put something exciting out there for a change, maybe it'll keep me from dozing off by hour three. The show is fucking awful. The Sala Monster Sounds Off. Available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash the Salamonster for sound off extras and more. And follow the Salamonster on Twitter at Salamonster. Put that cigarette out. Salamonster sounds off. This is your AEW Dynamite review for Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. I am the Salamonster. Thank you for choosing me for your Dynamite coverage. I hope everybody's having a great night. A very promo-heavy edition of Dynamite tonight, heading into the Revolution pay-per-view in two weeks. A Revolution card that is looking stacked. You know, we got WrestleMania, two nights of WrestleMania coming up in about a month, month and a half. Uh, actually, not even a month and a half. It's coming up pretty quick. And uh, they're going to have some work to do if they want to match up to this card. The Revolution card on paper is looking great. And uh, tonight, 
We had one more match confirmed, one more big match confirmed. Actually, we had more than one. But the biggest match, Brian Danielson one-on-one against John Moxley. I think we all knew that that was the direction things were headed in, but it was confirmed at the end of the show tonight. It will be Moxley and Danielson going one-on-one at Revolution. To me, that's the co-main right there. And even though, you know, I like the setup at the very end of the show, we got a main event tonight of Brian Danielson against Daniel Garcia, which is a match just last week, in fact. I said, boy, you know, I would love to see Brian Danielson in the ring against Daniel Garcia. And we got it tonight, but disappointing in that everything felt rushed. I think they were running low on time. I think it would have gotten a little more time, maybe if it was uh, another week or if it was at the beginning of the show. And also, the crowd in Bridgeport didn't care very much. They were quiet. They were sitting on their hands. I enjoyed it. I just wish it was a little bit longer and maybe the crowd was uh, a little more up for it. But, again, they, they don't see Daniel Garcia as a main eventer. You know, they obviously see something in him because we kind of joke on here, main event Daniel strikes again. He's got more main events than some main eventers get in this company. Uh, so that ended up being a little disappointing. One of the big takeaways from the show tonight is going to be, I mentioned the promo work, MJF came out and cut a promo that was unlike any MJF promo that he has cut before in AEW. It was very unusual. A babyface-esque promo from MJF. And I, I think you can see where this is going. But he was borrowing from a lot of real-life stuff that he's talked about before, and I think that's what made the promo work. You know, his eyes welling up with tears, all red, telling stories about how he was bullied as a kid. CM Punk coming out with this incredulous look on his face like he couldn't believe it. Is that true? Or is that a true story that you told? I think we all know next week what's going to end up happening with these two. But he delivered a hell of a promo, and Eddie Kingston is a miracle worker because Eddie Kingston tonight got me interested in a Chris Jericho match. He got me interested in something that Chris Jericho is currently doing in AEW. That's not an easy thing to do. And that was the other match that was made official. The other the big singles match that was made official. Eddie Kingston is going to go one-on-one with Chris Jericho at Revolution. One tag team is in. One tag team left to go. Number one contenders for the AEW tag team titles of Revolution. We now know that Red Dragon will be one of those teams and very likely going to end up being the Young Bucks on TV next week. We've got our first of two Battle Royals. Again, I maintain that we didn't need two, but nonetheless, I think uh, the stage is set. Even the matches that aren't official yet, we can see where things are headed. Uh, a promo-heavy show because it had to be here a couple of weeks beforehand to set things up for all the key matches. And also, we got a new debut on the show tonight. As you saw from the thumbnail here in this video, we have a new member of the House of Black. This has been rumored for a while. I actually talked about this last week, that he was likely on his way in, Buddy Matthews. Buddy Matthews now officially a part of the AEW roster, the latest addition to the House of Black. So we'll talk about all that. Uh, Very eventful show tonight. Maybe not the most exciting, but uh, a lot of really good stuff. On this show, setting up a lot of key matches for the pay-per-view. And they also announced Double or Nothing tickets are going to be going on sale March 4th. They are coming back to Las Vegas the first time since the very first Double or Nothing. I was at that show uh, in Vegas. I think it was at the MGM. 
uh, in Vegas, third row. It was the night John Moxley debuted. Fun show. Fun show. It's about time. They go back to Vegas, and they're doing Dynamite, Rampage, and Double or Nothing, uh, all in Las Vegas in uh, two different venues. Dynamite and Rampage are going to be in a different building, I believe, uh, than the one they're running for the pay-per-view. But anyway, so for those who are interested in going, March 4th, tickets go on sale. They're finally going to be back in Vegas for the first time since all of this uh, pandemic nonsense. Uh, Super Chats are open. I'm going to be reading your messages as I do every week. Live here on the air, and uh, you'll see them as uh, there's old dirty sausage. You'll see them popping up on your screen as well. And let's see if we can at least uh, smash, what, 300 likes at least here during the live stream. We can do that. Let's try to smash 300. A little bit later on, we do the Be the Booker segment here at the end, one for the men, one for the women. And tonight is a very special night because tonight we are going to begin the tournament process for Be the Booker, both men's and women's. We are going to have tournament brackets in the coming weeks uh, that I will be able to fill. And starting tonight, the matches that I randomly select during the Be the Booker segment are at some point going to be entered into a tournament bracket, an eight-match tournament bracket, and then you guys on YouTube will be able to vote. And ultimately, you guys will vote on the match that you think is uh, the one that should go on to win the tournament. Just a little fun thing. Shout out to Eugene. Eugene Johnson, he's the one who gave me the idea. I said, you know what? I like the sound of that. Let's have our own little March Madness thing going on. So that all kicks off tonight. And uh, before we go on, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a, a little shout out to Brian Barsoon and Amiibo. You guys know Amiibo from the live chat. Amiibo Guru, they were in the sixth row tonight. They were in Connecticut for Dynamite, representing the sound off. I love it. Second time in less than a week that the sound off has been represented once in Saudi Arabia and once in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So we are truly global. <laughs> From Jeddah to Bridgeport. I love it. So uh, thank you to Brian and thank you to Amiibo for, for that. That was uh, very nice to see. And before we even get into the review of the actual uh, show, uh, there is another rumored acquisition, somebody else who's going to be coming into AEW, Buddy Matthews is in, but another name on his way in, It sound, and this is according to Fightful, it sounds like a done deal, he's going to be making his AEW debut in the next few weeks, uh, early next month, is Shane Strickland, uh, Killshot from Lucha Underground. Uh, of course, Isaiah Swerve Scott from NXT, former member of Hit Row, which became Shit Row the moment they got called up to SmackDown. Not his fault. But he is going to be breaking away from the other Hit Row members, and he is going to be debuting in AEW in a few weeks. And apparently they're very high on him. Uh, they see him as having potential crossover appeal. So more than just, oh, he's a good wrestler, let's bring him in. They they see big things in his future. They think he could be a big money player for them in AEW. So. Uh, nobody can deny that he's got talent, and WWE was nuts to let someone like that go because surely they could have used someone like him, I think, on the main roster. Uh, they, they called him up, so they obviously had some sense that they wanted to do something with him, and now WWE's loss will be AEW's game. That's uh, sometime in the next few weeks. We should see him popping up on TV. Dynamite opened. 
with the first of two tag team battle royals. Second one will take place next week. This is to determine one of two challengers tonight here for the AEW Tag Team Titles of Revolution because it will be a three-way. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus will defend their titles against not one but two tag teams. So we have the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, Santana and Ortiz, Private Party, FTR, the Gun Club, Alex Reynolds and John Silver of the Dark Order, Best Friends, The Butcher and the Blade, and 2.0. And the rules were very simple. Both members of a team would have to be eliminated. So, you know, we've seen tag team battle royals in the past where one guy gets dumped, the other guy's got to leave. That's not how this one works. And actually, I'm, I'm happy it didn't work that way because the best part of this battle royal is when it came down to the remaining members of each team that was left in the match. That's when things really picked up here. Gun Club and Mark Quinn of Private Party, they were eliminated early. Matt Hardy was outside the ring. He caught Isaiah Cassidy. He was falling. He was about to fall to the floor. And Matt Hardy caught him, and he pushed him back up onto the apron. And as soon as he did that, Santana knocked him off. I think it was, I believe it was uh, Santana, whoever it was, knocked Cassidy, and he fell to the floor anyway. So that was the end of Private Party here in this Battle royal. Uh, Santana eliminated both members of 2.0 at the same time, and the Young Bucks eliminated Ortiz, which left Santana alone representing his team. FTR eliminated Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks. Over on the other side of the ring, Orange Cassidy was outside in the corner of the best friends, and he saved Trent Beretta from being eliminated, had him on his shoulders, and put him back on the ring apron. And Trent eliminated Bobby Fish heading into a picture-in-picture. Picture. So we come back from break. Cash Wheeler of FPR. He gets dumped, and there was no complete team left. And this is where the Battle Royal really got fun. Because up to this point, standard Battle Royal stuff. Once we got to this part, I thought that this is where things kicked up, and this got really good. And so we had Matt Jackson, Santana, Dax Harwood, Kyle O'Reilly, Trent Beretta, and John Silver. Santana and Trent, they came face-to-face. -face. They got a standing O because everybody remembers the callback to the parking lot brawl on Dynamite that main event of the show at some point last year, which was a great match, great brawl. And so they paid respect to them, and they gave them a standing ovation when they came face-to-face. -face. They both ended up on the apron. They're trying to suplex each other back and forth. They're trying back and forth, attempting to suplex the other. Matt Jackson and Kyle O'Reilly end up kicking both men off the apron down to the floor. So they're gone. So now we were down to four. We had Matt Jackson, Kyle O'Reilly, Dax Harwood, and John Silver. Final four here in this match. O'Reilly and Harwood, they wound up on the apron together. They were throwing strikes. Dax got the better of it. Uh, Dax was stomping the shit out of this guy. I'll say this much about Dax Harwood. You know, FTR fancies themselves old school pro wrestlers, no flips, just fists and the whole thing. One of the things I love about FTR. They lay their shit in. When they're, when they're in a match, especially if they're in the ring with a, a tag team, Santana and Ortiz, or if they were in the ring with a Red Dragon or someone like that, I mean, those are teams that know how to make it look good. And so when he's stomping on somebody or he's throwing forearm strikes or right hands, they lay their shit in. It looks good. It sounds good. It sounds like he's in a fight. And so he was laying his shit in here on the apron. And beating the hell out of Kyle O'Reilly when all of a sudden Bobby Fish, who had been eliminated earlier in the match, sneaks up. He's on the floor and he sneaks up behind Dax 
and he kicks him. He throws a kick right at his leg. And Dax loses his balance, and he falls to the floor. He gets eliminated. The referees didn't see it. Fish goes to the other side of the ring, rolls under the ring. John Silver, he ran wild for a little bit, but he got stopped by Kyle and Matt Jackson, who were working together for a few seconds. Didn't last very long. Uh, Jackson tossed Silver out of the ring. Kyle immediately snuck up behind Matt Jackson and tossed him out to win the Battle Royal for Red Dragon. They are going to revolution. Kyle O'Reilly, welcome back. Right, He missed a few weeks there because of the birth of his daughter. I had emails from people. What happened to Kyle O'Reilly? AEW debuted him, and then he just vanished. Well, he had a kid. And I said, he'll be back soon. So not only is he back, but he wins the battle royal for his team. They get a tag team championship match now at Revolution. The Bucks were not happy about this. Nick Jackson came back down. Nick and Matt get in the ring. They confront. Fitch and O'Reilly. There's no Adam Cole to keep the peace and try to break them up. All of a sudden, though, Hangman Page's music is. Here comes the AEW world champion. He does not look happy. You know, he calls himself a cowboy, cowboy shit. Well, we have two world champions who like to think of themselves as cowboys. Only one of them actually wears a cowboy hat, and it's not Hangman Page. <laughs> I never thought I would say that, but Brock Lesnar, more of a cowboy than Hangman Page of late. But Hangman comes down to the ring. He doesn't look like he's in a very good mood. After what happened last week, he's out there for revenge. He immediately goes after Fish and O'Reilly, and the Bucks are just standing there watching the whole thing. They're not attacking him. They're not getting involved. And Hangman looks up at Nick. He looks over at Matt, and they throw their hands in the air and say, look, you do what you got to do, brother. We want no part of this. And the Bucks left the ring. Adam Cole slid in, goes for the super kick. When Hangman turns around, but Page catches his boot, clotheslines him down. He sets up for the buckshot lariat, but Red Dragon pulls Adam Cole out to safety. And in the end, it was the buckshot lariat that wiped out Kyle O'Reilly. So Hangman Page gets revenge for what happened to him last week. And then Adam Page gets on the mic. He takes a page out of Cole's book and says, Who's ready for story time with Adam Page? And he sits on a chair in the middle of the ring, and he talks about how Adam Cole was a world champion everywhere he went. And he saw the world crumbling all around him. He decided to go after the most prized championship in all of AEW, is what Hangman decided to do. He said Cole went to uh, AEW Revolution. This is what's going to happen. He's going to go to AEW Revolution, <clears throat> and the better Adam is going to put him six feet under. He closed the promo by saying that Adam Cole's body hitting the dirt would sound like boom. That is how he closed out the promo by uh, flipping off all the heels who were watching him from the entrance ramp. So, again, the second half of that battle royal, really good stuff. I really liked the latter half uh, more than the first, you know, several minutes of the battle royal. Uh, really good stuff, I thought. And you see how many quality teams they have on that roster. There's a lot of great tag teams on that roster. Whether it is, again, Young Bucks, FTR, Santana and Ortiz finally getting more television time the last several weeks, and hopefully they'll stay in the mix. Red Dragon back together now in AEW. I still think once they get away from Matt Hardy, or maybe go babyface again, private party, you know, you can see 
bigger things for them in the future. They're still very young. The private party is still very young. And I feel like the whole alliance with the Hardy family office has kept them in the background for most of the year. That's going to come to an end. In fact, it might be coming to an end sooner than later. Because once Jeff Hardy comes in, you can add the Hardy boys to that list of tag teams. So you're going to have a tag team division that has the Young Bucks, FTR, Santana and Ortiz, Red Dragon, and the Hardy boys. Not to mention all the other teams on the periphery. So, yes, they have a – I know this is not exactly breaking news, but they have a very strong – uh, tag team division in this company. And yes, I did, Miguel in the chat, yes, I did see that Jeff Hardy did an interview. I did not see who it was with, what what outlet or podcast it was. Apparently, he let it slip. I didn't see it, but I've seen multiple people say that he let it slip, that he is coming to AEW. It's the worst kept seat, right? He can't do anything for a few more weeks because of his non-compete. He may not have an actual piece of paper signed, but I think everybody and their mother knew that Jeff Hardy was going to land with his brother in AEW. His brother's already there. His brother's dropping little hints and teases every week. We all know he's going to go. It's not exactly uh, such a far-fetched thing. So when he comes in, there is value in the Hardy Boys back together. It's been many years since Matt and Jeff have been a tag team. Right? They came back to WWE in 2017. Trying to think, when did they dissolve the actual team? It, I feel like it wasn't that long after, right? Because Jeff got hurt. I remember they won the tag team titles. Jeff got hurt. They had to vacate the titles, the SmackDown tag titles, and he was gone for a while. And Matt kind of went off and did the broken stuff for a while, and then they gave up on that. And so, you know, it's been several years since we've seen the Hardy Boys together. Whether or not you look at Jeff as being a liability for Tony Khan or whatever your opinion might be on Jeff Hardy, should he or shouldn't he go, you know, should, should Tony Khan sign him or not, Jeff Hardy is still a big name. He still has a lot of fans, and there is still name value. And in doing a Hardy Boys reunion tour of sorts and getting Matt Hardy out of this horrible Hardy family office storyline, that I'm for. Anything that gets him out of that into something different, I'm okay with that. But initially, of course, there, there's a ton of matches that you can do with them. You can build to one final, let's go after the tag titles that we've never had before. We've been tag champions everywhere, right? In Impact, I'm sure they were tag team champions in Impact at some point. WWE, they held the WCW tag team titles, even though there was really no WCW at that point. Uh, so. There's absolutely uh, an appeal there, and I think everybody figured that's where Jeff was going to land. But we got a tag team battle royal next week. I think we all know the Bucks are going to win that one. I, I mean, it's just who else is going to win that battle royal if not the Young Bucks? I mean, come on. And look, there's lots of different ways that they could go story-wise now with the Bucks, Red Dragon, Adam Cole, Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega said I think he needs one more. Was it a hernia operation? I think he, because he was on Observer Radio last weekend. I think something with a hernia. After that, they'll be ready to come back. I don't know if that's a month. I don't know if that's two months. I think it's safe to say certainly by uh, double or nothing, Kenny Omega will be in a big match on that show. But when he comes back, that's when shit's going to hit the fan with him and Adam Cole, who's sort of, you know, taken his spot in his absence. 
lots of storyline options and ways they could go with the elite guys when Omega is ready to come back. So the, the possibilities there, I mean, they can go in a whole bunch of different directions. And Brian Danielson was interviewed in the back by Tony Schiavone. And we found out that he was going to be wrestling Daniel Garcia in the main event, which I was very excited about. They added this match very late in the day. I want to say it was like 6 o'clock, 5, 6 o'clock, somewhere in that range. And I saw that, and I said, ooh. I didn't think they'd go to it yet, but it kind of makes sense because Danielson's been name-dropping people like Lee Moriarty, who he wrestled, and he made his name drop Daniel Garcia as someone that he would love to be in a faction with and take him under his wings. So it kind of made sense that they would do this now. Uh, and I, I still hope that idea is alive. You know, Garcia, they get him away from 2.0 and coming out of Revolution, however things go with Danielson and Moxley, that we do get uh, an alliance of sorts. We do get a faction. And maybe they take a couple of young bucks, no pun intended, under their wing and try to guide them and mentor them. And Daniel Garcia should absolutely be on that list. But he wanted to find out how violent he could be. So he was looking forward to wrestling him in the ring later on in the show. And he said he would give John Moxley his answer following the match. MJF was out next for a very unusual promo thing. Very unusual for MJF. Now, we don't usually see a promo segment like this from him, ever. And uh, also unusual in that it was very much a baby-faced promo. And the crowd wasn't buying it. And the thing about that is, I think that's a great reflection on how fantastic of a douchebag heel that MJF is. That even when he is out there pouring out his heart and soul, and seemingly being genuine, he's sharing this personal story about himself and about his childhood and his upbringing and something that happened to him that was very hurtful to him earlier in his life. The people in the crowd didn't really know how to react to it, and so the default reaction was to boo. <laughs> and it's not, you know, a situation where it makes it a bad segment. I just think it reflects on the fact that MJF is probably the best fucking heel in the entire business. People hate this man's guts. Even in a promo like this, where at one point he said, I love AEW just like all of you, and Again, pouring out his heart and soul, people still couldn't bring themselves to cheer for him because they fucking hate his guts. You don't see heel heat like that very much these days in wrestling. You have the cool heels who will go out there, and people like them, and they'll get cheered. MJF is maybe one of the only guys I can think of. Yeah, maybe The Miz is the other one. <laughs> Baron Corbin. There are some people that people just absolutely hate, and they will not cheer for them. Miz is on that, or not Miz, but MJF is on that very, very short list. He may be at the top of that list. So I actually think it, it just proves how great of a heel he really is. Uh, but these people didn't seem to believe a thing that came out of his mouth. He comes to the ring, and the crowd is chanting for CM Punk. And MJF still has this very downtrodden look on his face. You know, when Punk chose the dog collar stipulation for their match at Revolution, MJF was speechless. He was without speech. He had nothing to say. He looked scared. He looked intimidated. And that was 
basically the same look he had on his face, you know, when he came out here for this segment here. So he comes down to the ring. He said, once upon a time, he liked CM Punk, too, because he could hear all the CM Punk chants. He said, once upon a time, I also liked CM Punk. I used to be a CM Punk fan, too. And he remembered the time that Punk posed for that photograph with him when MJF was just a kid, and you know, Punk showed the photo on TV last week. And he recalled Punk saying that to him it was just another Friday. Remember in the promo, Punk said, you know, to you it was the biggest moment of your life. To me, it was Friday. And MJF brought that up. and He said, you know, people don't understand his upbringing, but he lived for pro wrestling, just like all of us. And he loves AEW, just like all of us. Talked about having severe ADD as a child, and he got some booze for it. Now, he wasn't booed out of the building. But again, people, they didn't really know how to take it because they think he's full of shit. Which he is. The character is full of shit. I don't doubt that any of the stuff he was talking about here is true. And in fact, as I'm going along here, I'm going to tell you some of the details of this story. MJF has told this story before. The one that I'm about to get into here. So I 100% believe that this is something that actually legitimately happened to him. But in terms of his on-screen persona in AEW, there isn't a single person in that building in Bridgeport who bought what he was selling. Because they were just waiting for him to swerve everybody and laugh in their face. Because that's what he does, right? He thumbs his nose and looks down at everybody. They were just waiting for the punchline, but it never came. But he got booed for having ADD as a kid. He also got some boos in this promo when he uh, you know, called himself Jewish. And he said, you know, we have any Jews in the crowd. And again, he got some boos. This was quite the segment here, I must say, and quite the reaction here from the people in Connecticut. He said he was one of two Jewish kids who tried out for his varsity football team. And he remembered his new teammates walking up to him in the hallway at school the next day. And he said that he was excited because he thought that they were going to finally be friends. You know, he was going to make new friends. Instead, they took rolls of quarters and they threw them at him as hard as they possibly could. They took these quarters and they threw them at MJF. And they told him to pick up the quarters. They said, hey, Jew boy, pick up those quarters. And he said he cried his eyes out, but he also knew that he was going to be meeting his hero that night, CM Punk, which is where that photograph came from. He knew he was going to be meeting CM Punk. He said that night meant everything to him, and he vowed to be just like Punk, and he said he would become the best in the world. And he said he got stronger and faster. He had scholarship offers coming his way. This was in 2013. But all he wanted was to be a pro wrestler like his hero, CM Punk, and he got very emotional while he talked about practicing promos in the mirror at home until his voice got hoarse and he couldn't even speak anymore. He said Punk left him and everybody else in 2014 when he walked away. He walked away from people like MJF, who looked up to him and loved him and respected him. And he let all of these people down. He let MJF down as well. MJF said he uh, remembers seeing a photo of Punk 
shaking hands with Brian Danielson. I think I know exactly the photo he's talking about from Ring of Honor. And he remembers the photo on an Instagram account that he was following or that he came across called the Wrestling Classic. And he was livid. And he promised himself that he would become the best in the world in spite of CM Punk. And he vowed to himself that he would not leave a bully fan high and dry like Punk did to him. And he said that he would bleed buckets at Revolution and Punk would choke him with the chain, but he won't quit because then he would be no better than CM Punk. And he threw the microphone down. And it's not just what he said in the promo. He fucking nailed this thing because, again, I don't doubt the story with the roll of quarters and all that. I don't doubt that it's the truth because he's told that story numerous times before. Uh, including in a uh, promo he did once before, many years ago, in MLW. And I believe he also told a promo in AEW in the early days of the company on an episode of Dark, I believe. He he told a uh, a similar version of the promo, the football players, the roll of quarters, a Jew boy, crying his eyes out. So he, he's been consistent in this story now for many years. and And he has also, you know, done media interviews in the past talking about, you know, the anti-Semitism that he faced, you know, coming up as a kid, and uh, I don't get the sense that that's the kind of thing that he would uh, make up, and occasionally, you know, on Twitter, when there is a story about anti-Semitism or something like that, and he responds to it, it's not in a joking way or anything like that, he, he takes that shit seriously, so I have no doubt that those things happened to him, and I think if he thinks about it in his mind, it's like a method actor. He probably thinks about it, and his eyes were all red. Tears were coming down his eyes. Because he probably, in his mind, went back to that place, and it, you know, it's obviously a painful memory for him. So it's like, hey, I gotta, I gotta start crying on TV. Let me go think of this shitty moment in my life. It'd be like standing in the middle of the ring, and you have to do a promo, and you know. You have to get emotional during the promo. Not everybody can just cry on command, though. It's not an easy thing to do, unless you're Ric Flair. So you might have to go back in your memory bank and think about your your dog, uh, you know, uh, Petey Pockets or something, who got run over by a, a mail truck many years ago, and the mailman didn't realize it, you know, and put the truck in reverse and backed up over the poor thing, and you know, you remember this as a horrible memory. And every time you think about Petey Pockets, you know, it just it makes you want to cry. So you're standing in the middle of the ring doing a promo, but you're thinking of, you know, Petey Pockets. Because you need the tears to come streaming down your face. I think that's what we got. This was his Petey Pockets moment. Here in this promo. CM Punk walks out. No music. CM Punk walks out. And he's got this just incredulous look on his face. This look of bewilderment is on his face. He can't believe what he just heard. He can't believe what he's hearing. And he gets up on the apron, and he is staring at MJF, who's trying not to make eye contact with him. He's, like, sheepishly looking down at the mat. And he's kind of off mic. You can pick up what he's saying. He's looking at MJF and going, is it real? What you just said, is that true? Is that real? And MJF looks at him and goes, yeah, it's real. And he leaves the ring. And he walks, and as he's walking up the ramp, you can see tears coming down his face. And Punk is just standing there. And again, he looks shocked. 
And that was the entire segment. That's all that segment had to be. That's all that segment had to be. One of the things I was left with when it was over, when, when this segment came to an end, and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, MJF, and I said this years ago, when MJF first started really kind of getting over in AEW. MJF, one day, is going to be the hottest babyface in the entire business. And that's wherever he is. If he's in AEW, if he goes to WWE, wherever it is, he's going to be the hottest babyface in wrestling. I hope that is not anytime soon. He should not be a babyface anytime soon. But this, I think, showed you the potential that's there for him to be a big babyface at some point. It would be ridiculous, though, to even think about turning him babyface in the next two or three years. But the potential is there, and you saw it here in this segment. Um, look, I think we have one more week. Is it one more Dynamite or two? I think, it, I think it's one left until Revolution. The material may have been real. I think we can see where this is going next week. It's going to end with him laughing in CM Punk's face. He managed to convince Punk on this show that what he said was from the heart and he was genuine about it. And he's fucking with Punk's head. He's playing mind games. He's trying to, he's trying to mind fuck CM Punk. And we'll get the big reveal next week. But I thought his performance and his delivery here in this segment was fantastic. But you can, you can see why the crowd, it was as if they didn't know how to react. Their natural instinct is to just boo and assume that everything coming out of this man's mouth is 100% bullshit. <laughs> but that's why he's so good at what he does. You don't find too many people like that in wrestling these days who commit to it the way that MJF does. I respect that. I respect the hustle. We had the kings of the Black Throne, Malachi Black and Brody King against Pac and Penta. But not just any Penta. It was Penta Oscuro. Pentagon Dark is back. As a big fan of his in Lucha Underground, I was very excited when we saw that vignette a couple of weeks ago of him in the graveyard with the shovel. Pentagon Dark is here. Now, he's not out there breaking arms the way he was in Lucha Underground. He doesn't have Vampiro with him. He's got Alex. I mean, Alex seems like a nice guy, but, you know, a bit of a downgrade from Vampiro in the role. But nonetheless, Alex Abrahantes, by the way. So, so Penta comes out, and he had an awesome entrance here in this match. Alex is with him. Alex is out there dressed like something out of Ghosts and Goblins, if you remember the old uh, NES game. He's out there dressed like a fucking vampire or a goblin or something. Pentagon's out there in his black Pentagon Dark outfit. And he's got a shovel and they had like a mock headstone in the aisleway. So really, really badass entrance for him here. By the way, I would love to see, I want, here's what I want Alex to do. Because I've mentioned before, Alex, if you're ever flipping channels and you come across QVC and you kind of blink twice, like I know that guy. Alex is the HP guy. He's the Hewlett Packard guy. He's on there selling computers and laptops and stuff for HP. That's his other gig. And uh, I, I flip around sometimes and I'm like looking, oh, is Alex on? I want him to sell me a computer. I want him to go his next QVC gig, when it, probably in the next few days. I just want him to show up on QVC for his next gig to sell uh, the next uh, laptop dressed exactly the way that he was on this show. 
I don't want him to give a heads up to anybody. I don't want him to tell anybody. I just want them to go. And now we go back to Alex who's with us to talk, talk to us about HP. And you put him on camera and he's sitting at home and he's dressed like a fucking goblin. And he doesn't say anything to anybody. He just goes into cell mode. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I want to see the reaction on the host's faces. I bet you he sells some computers. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to buy a computer from a guy who's dressed like a fucking vampire? I mean, come on. So Pat hit Malachi Black with a 450 splash. The bell rings. We're literally five seconds into this match. And Pac hits him with a 450 splash. And Malachi kicks out. Brody King tags in. He took Pac down with a big clothesline ahead of a uh, commercial break. And they come back from commercial. And Brody King, who's a big man. Brody King's a big dude. They come back and he hits a, uh, a tope. Because everybody has to die. Right? Lance Archer says, everybody dies. It's not everybody dies. It's everybody dies. That's just the way it is. Alex was dressed as a Sith Lord. He looked like a goblin to me. Whatever. He looked, he, put it this way. He looked evil. Right? Whether it's a Sith Lord, whether it's a vampire. Pentagon Dark here. Alex had to be uh, equally evil on this show. I want him to show up on uh, QVC looking evil. <laughs> we got we got four. I'm told we have 40 likes or so until we hit 300. So let's uh, let's get there. Let's speed that up. You you know where to put that uh, thumbs up. Let's go. So Malachi and Brody they go for Dante's Inferno. Pack breaks it up. Pack hits pump kicks German on uh, Brody King. And Malachi Black made a blind tag. See, he went for the mist at the finish, right? He went to go spit the Black mist. Penta, though, covered his mouth. He covered Black's mouth at the very last second. And then he rolled him up for the quick pin, which was kind of a, a clever finish. A roll-up, but nonetheless, I mean, we, we've not seen somebody do that to Malachi Black before. He's lying on the mat, and he is choking on the mist <laughs> that he couldn't spit. So he's lying. He's dying on the mat. Brody King wipes out Pack and Penta. He attacks them from behind. No time for the baby faces to celebrate. Like, as soon as they win, Brody King wipes them both out and just starts beating the crap out of them. Malachi goes outside the ring, and he shoves Alex, the, uh, the Sith Lord, down on the floor. And he grabs the shovel that Penta had brought out with him to the ring. Yes, I, I agree, Ed Weber. Ed Weber says uh, almost 1,000 in this uh, in this chat. 300 is a low block. Well, you got to start low. You start with 300 likes, then you graduate to 4, then 5, then 6. I, I set a low bar here. Because then you could just keep raising the bar, right? One of Hulk Hogan's favorite expressions, whenever, whenever he would show up in a new company. Remember when he went to TNA? We're going to raise the bar, brother. We're going to raise the bar. I don't know that he actually did that. That's what we do around here. We try to raise the bar. So he grabs the shovel, does Malachi, and brings it into the ring. He lifts the shovel up. Pentagon is on the mat, and he lifts the shovel up as if he's going to try to decapitate this man with this thing. The lights go out, and Tony Khan gets a tingle up his leg. Anytime the lights go out, he loves that. 
right? Lights go out. And they're out for a while. The lights come back on, and when they do, we see Buddy Matthews standing in the corner, looking jacked. Malachi Black now drops to the mat in, in shock and awe and fear, I guess. He can't believe what he is seeing. Obviously, he has quite the history with Buddy Matthews, both in and out of WWE on the independents since they both left. This got a holy shit chant. Matthews confronted Malachi and was kind of teasing that he was going to attack him before the big swerve. And uh, he attacked Penta instead. Brody King wiped out all these uh, security geeks that were being sent down. He wiped them all out one by one. He pulled chairs out from under the ring, brought them into the ring, and Black got up in Matthews' face. He gets up in Buddy Matthews' face, and he tells him what he needs to do. There's a chair on the, on the mat. Matthews is in the ring. He's got Penta in front of him. And Malachi is telling him what he has to do, and it took me back to Seth Rollins as the Messiah. It's almost like Buddy Matthews is right back where he was before, only instead of being subservient to Seth Rollins, now he's going to be subservient to Malachi Black. Because remember, Seth had him do the same exact thing, I think, to the Mysterios, or try to, in uh, WWE back in the uh, Performance Center era of Monday Night Raw, where he wanted him to <laughs> take his eyeball out on the ring steps. Shout out to Stephen Chappa, who says, fuck Bully Ray. He loves that. Bully Ray, Bully the Clown, Super Chat. <laughs> Stephen Chappa says it is time to send in the clown. Bully the Clown. Thank you, Stephen, for the $30 Bully the Clown drop. That is one of our secret chats down in the description below for those who are new here. I know we have a bunch of new uh, subscribers here tonight. So Matthews has been given his marching orders, and he grabs Penta's arms and extends them outward in position for a curb stop. Funny enough, I just mentioned Seth Rollins. And he delivers a curb stop to Penta on the steel chair. And so, boom, face first, down into the chair. I thought it was a little weird. The lights went out. When the lights finally come back on, Matthews is gone. Malachi is gone. Brody King is gone. Pentagon, though, who was the one who just got curb stomped onto a chair, is the one who's in the ring crawling over to Pac to check on Pac to make sure he's okay. But Penta is the one who got curb stomped onto the chair. That was. A little fucking weird. I'm not going to lie. That was uh, a little strange. Should have been the other way around. But I said it last week when the rumors started that Buddy Matthews was a target of AEWs and they wanted to bring him in. He's a solid pickup for them. He's not going to be a game changer right out of the gate or anything like that uh, because he was never positioned as one in WWE. So why would anybody look at him and go, oh, my God, you know, Buddy Matthews is here. He's going to have a chance now, I would hope, to show people what he can do. You know, character-wise now, he's going to be part of the House of Black. So character-wise, we'll see what's in store for him. You know, I, 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 I like him being part of this group. I like him being aligned with Malachi. But they're going to have to do something a little bit different because, again, I just mentioned, it kind of reminds me of what he was doing with Rollins on Raw. And so I hope whatever it is, they have him doing a little bit more 
uh, here in AEW. But I, I think it's a great spot for him to be in here right out of the gate. Uh, ever since he left WWE, he's been on the independents. You know, he did wrestle Okada, the Battle in the Valley, back in November. Had a great match with him. But he's been on the independents, and uh, it's funny enough, the one Buddy Matthews match that I had a, a chance to call for House of Glory was against Alakai Black. So these two, like I said, have great chemistry together, whether it's against each other or now they're going to be working together. But he's been calling himself, uh, one of the nicknames he uses, is Secret No More. Well, he's not going to be a secret anymore. People are going to have a chance to see what he can really do, and we'll see how far you know he can get. But I, I like the pairing here, and the House of Black continues to grow. It continues to get larger. I don't know if they're going to continue to add members or not. Uh, I think I kind of like what they have now. But the House of Black continues to grow. Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston out for a face-to-face confrontation in the ring with four security dweebs standing in the background, which Eddie Kingston did not like. He wanted to know, why are these why are these men here? Jericho is out there wearing purple sneakers, which should be enough to get him heel heat all by, all by himself. Just the fact that he was wearing uh, Barney the Dinosaur sneakers here. Otherwise, Jericho looked to be, uh, you know, he looked to be in good shape. You know, he's got, he's got the shirt open with the, with the six-pack, and he's, you know, looking uh, lo- looking like he's been uh, pumping some iron or something behind the scenes. Once we get him in the ring, though, <laughs> at Revolution, we'll see. We'll see after five minutes in the ring uh, how this guy looks. But Kingston said he was sick of hearing Jericho's song. Everybody sings to, to massage his ego. Said he's not here to do sports entertainment. That's in the other place. Is there in Connecticut? We're not that far away. That's what they do. That's not what I do. I'm a professional wrestler. I'm not here to do sports entertainment. Jericho said, you know, we are down the road from Stanford. And so maybe I will give you some sports entertainment. Only this sports entertainment will be better than what you would get from the other place. Again, we can, we can, uh, we can leave the digs aside. I, they were in Connecticut, so, you know, whatever. He wanted to make a little dig. Jericho admitted that, you know, when Eddie got signed by AEW, he had no idea who he was. He had never heard of him before. He, basically, he didn't know. He couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. He did not know who he was. He heard the name, and the first thing he thought of was Eddie Edwards. He thought he was Eddie Edwards, who I think just had a big heel turn over on uh, on Impact Wrestling, if I'm not mistaken. He thought all the talk about him, you know, was overblown because he didn't really know a whole hell of a lot about him. He knew he was around for a while, but he had never really gotten any higher than a certain level. And he said when he first saw him, he thought he looked like a jobber. Let's be honest. He's not wrong. That's not really an untrue statement. I mean, Eddie Kingston is not out there to be a fashion model. Nobody is going to look at Eddie Kingston and say that, boy, that guy's got the superstar look. Eddie Kingston is a superstar, but it's not because of how he looks. It's not because of how he dresses, his gear. Eddie Kingston is a superstar because he's genuine. He comes across as the real deal. He is the genuine article. He is who he is, as he said in this promo. And that's hard to come by in wrestling. And in, in, in a time where there's so many characters and people trying to be something that they're not and sounding completely, uh, you know, 
insincere and, and sounding robotic or whatever the case may be. Eddie Kingston does not come across as any of those things. When Eddie Kingston is out there, it doesn't feel like someone playing a part. It feels like he's out there being himself. That's what makes him a star. And that's what made this segment work so well. I didn't think I was going to end up liking this segment as much as I ended up liking this segment. He said Eddie didn't make it to the big time until he was 38 years old, but Jericho made it to the big time when he was 22. By 38, he said he had already been a world champion. He had made millions of dollars, and he said Eddie was just jealous of him. He said deep down inside, Eddie doesn't believe that he could ever be at Jericho's level. And Kingston said that the only reason that Jericho headlined in all these different places is because he wasn't there. He said Jericho leeches off others. He doesn't leech off others, all the young talent, the way that Jericho does. He wants to fight. He says he wants to fight Jericho at Revolution. Jericho said that Eddie has achievement-phobia, which is a fear of success. I'm not sure if that's a real thing or not. Perhaps somebody can look it up and let me know. Is there such a thing as achievement-phobia? I'm not sure about that. I've heard of arachnophobia, I've heard of agoraphobia, I've heard of Monday Night Raw-phobia, but I've never heard of achievement-phobia. So perhaps somebody can let me know if that's a real thing. He says, you consider your destiny to be one of a failure. He goes, I've read up about you. You know, obviously he read that Players' Tribune article that uh, Kingston did. He said Eddie's uncle was his first hero, and he was a failure. He said Eddie believed in his own father. And he was a failure. And deep down, he thinks that he's a failure as well. He said Eddie's problem is that he can't win the big one. And when you face Chris Jericho, when you challenge me at Revolution, he goes, I'm the big one. Not the world champion Hangman Page. Not John Moxley. Not Brian Danielson. Me. I'm the big one. Because you want me at Revolution, you got it. He said May 6th. At first he said May 6th. And then he quickly corrected himself and said March 6th. And May 6th, too. Why not? Why not? The day after Cinco de Mayo, these guys can have the rematch. So March 6th, May 6th, these two are going to go one-on-one. Eddie said he doesn't want the Jericho from the Mimosa match. He doesn't want the Jericho that went off the cage by MJF. Give me the Jericho that won the world title in this company at the very beginning. Give me the Jericho that bled buckets in Tennessee. Give me the Jericho that went to war with Tenru in the war promotion in Japan. Give me the Jericho that turned WCW on its side, upside down, he said. Give me the Jericho that Levesque hated. Because if you don't, I'm going to eat you alive. And I think they could have ended the segment right there. That would have been the perfect point to end the segment. Jericho had to continue and... He closed things out by calling Eddie a loser and reiterating that he can't win the big one. So it took Eddie Kingston to get me invested in something that Chris Jericho was doing on AEW television. That right there is what makes Eddie Kingston a miracle worker, is that he has gotten me invested and interested in seeing this match at Revolution. Uh, I thought Eddie was fantastic here and you know, it, it, it also, look, it just proves what I've been saying, what I already knew, which is that it's time. It's been time for at least a few months now for Jericho to swing back in the heel direction because Jericho played his part very well. He was the smug jerk. 
in this segment, and I thought he played his part to a T. So I'm looking forward to seeing these two have a good old-fashioned brawl. I'm not expecting a technical masterpiece. I'm expecting a brawl between these two at Revolution. And the other thing I really like is the whole Eddie can't win the big one story, because if they want to take this all the way, I'm talking long-term, over a period of many, many months, there is a story here that you can tell, because Eddie Kingston is, is beloved. Eddie Kingston is very well-liked by the AEW fans, and very well-respected. I don't see Eddie Kingston necessarily becoming AEW World Champion, although you could certainly put the title on him for, you know, a, a few weeks or a month if you wanted to. I'm not saying I see that. But you could build to him even winning the TNT Championship. You know, Eddie, you can't win the big one. You can't win the big one. And, and building to him winning the big one one day. And the people, I think, would get behind him and the people would buy into it because they like him. And it's a story as old as time, you know, the aging veteran who's either trying to get back past glory or trying to get to the top of the mountain where he's never been able to get to before. You know, it's a very simple story, but I think it's one that if they want to, beyond the Jericho match, they could tell that story. I'm not even sure he'll beat Jericho. I think he should. I think you got to throw a big win his way at some point because he doesn't win a lot of big matches, right? He didn't beat Miro. He didn't beat Punk. He was in the ring with Danielson as well. You know, Jericho can lose. I mean, Eddie can lose too, but I think Eddie would benefit by, by the win more than Jericho would. And Jericho, if he is going full-on heel, which he basically was the heel in this segment, he probably cheats to win to get, you know, he, he does something by nefarious means to get the win. But I do think long-term, uh, an Eddie Kingston winning the big one storyline, that, that pays it off in that way is something fans, I think, can get invested in. Backstage Matt Hardy said Andrade would bring the TNT Championship to the Andrade Hardy family office on Rampage this Friday because he is challenging Sammy Guevara for the title. You know, I saw Sammy's vlog, and Sammy uh, got a scratched uh, cornea in the match with Darby Allen last week. When Darby had him in the figure four leg lock, or maybe he had Darby in the figure four, and they started throwing slaps at each other, Darby, I guess, hit him in such a way where he scratched Sammy's eye. And apparently it's a very painful injury, uh, so he has not been able to open his eyes. And the whole blog, you know, he and Ty Conti together, and so she had to basically feed him and you know, they got McDonald's in their hotel room or something, and she's like feeding him chicken nuggets and He's in the airport. He can't open his fucking eyes because apparently it's, his other eye is fine. But if he opens the other eye, the other one ends up hurting. So that's a, a pretty shitty injury there. So I guess they think, though, he'll be fine. I guess he is fine because if they're taping Rampage tonight, they're taping a match with him and Andrade. So I, I assume he's uh, he's got his vision back at this point. But that does not seem like a very fun injury. But the uh, key part of this segment is he calls for himself. Andrade and Isaiah Cassidy to face Sting, Darby Allen, and Sammy Guevara in a Tornado Trios match at Revolution. And I don't doubt that that could turn out to be a fun match. And I guess it's the logical place to put Sting and Darby because otherwise, what do they do? But I was kind of hoping that we were going towards a three-way for the TNT title. You get Sammy in the ring with Andrade and with Darby. I think that would have been a hell of a triple threat. 
And instead, it looks like they're going to go with the uh, trios match. We have the FTW champion, Ricky Starks. Shout out, by the way, to all of our new, uh, all of our new subs. Look at Every time you see Oscar, give the thumbs up on screen. We've got a new uh, channel subscribers. So welcome to all of our new subscribers. Ricky Starks, non-title, representing Team Taz one-on-one against Preston Vance, number 10 of the Dark Order. In a Face of the Revolution ladder match qualifier, we already know who's qualified for Revolution. Keith Lee is in, Wardlow is in, and Powerhouse Hobbs, the other member of Team Taz, have already qualified for the ladder match. That's a lot of beef. In that match. This did not last very long. Ten got Starks up for a delayed vertical suplex ahead of a uh, picture-in-picture break. They come back from break. Ten locked on the full Nelson. Starks fought out of it, though, by grabbing at Ten's mask. And I guess he kind of turned it sideways where he couldn't see. And Ricky hit the ropes and came off and cut him down with a spear and got the pin. So Ricky Starks has qualified. He advances to Revolution. That puts two members of Team Taz in the ladder match. Two members who are also very unlikely to win, I think, the ladder match. Although I I would certainly not mind Ricky Starks challenging for the TNT title. I I don't know that I would call either of those guys the favorite uh, at the moment, but we also don't know who the other participants are going to be. Are they having six? Are they having eight? I assume it's six. We only have four. Who are the other two? We don't know yet. Backstage, Fish and O'Reilly were uh, talking about their battle royal win with Adam Cole when the Bucks showed up and he accused them of a double cross. They were not very happy about what happened in the end of the battle royal. And the Bucks talked about winning next week's battle royal so that they could earn a spot in that tag team title match at Revolution, and then they can kick Fish and O'Reilly's asses. And the Bucks walked away. Adam Cole yelled at Fish and O'Reilly, saying, we have to get along. We have to get along. Jade Cargill against the Bunny for the TBS championship. Bunny avoided a strike, ended up uh, whiplashing Jade's neck over the ropes before sending her into the barricade. Bunny landed a knee lift, and Jade caught a feds press, turned it into a spine buster. Matt Hardy had come down. Matt Hardy distracted the referee. And the Bunny got the brass knuckles. That's kind of her thing. She uses the brass knucks in her matches. Jade, though, was given the TBS championship. And so when the Bunny came in with the brass knucks, Jade held up the TBS title. The knucks went into the title. I guess the title trumps the knucks. And so that didn't really work. That wasn't very effective. Uh, At that point, Mark Sterling was ejected. Matt Hardy was ejected from ringside. Bunny rolled Jade up for two, but Jade countered her uh, down-the-rabbit-hole finish that she attempted. She countered that into the Jaded, which is her finish. And she picked up the win. That is win number 28. Jade Cargill is now 28-0, and zero, undefeated, here in AEW. And uh, she asked and the, uh, when the match was over, she's 28-0, I'm going to be 50-0, I'm going to be 100-0. She goes, who's next? Which, of course, got chance of Goldberg, where's my voodoo doll? Don't let Tony Khan get any fucking ideas here. You know, Goldberg now is a free agent. That was the last match last weekend on his WWE contract. As of this moment, he's free and clear to go where he wants. Don't get any ideas now. I don't have my uh, voodoo doll laying around here. So she said, better yet, it's not even who's next, it's who's left. 
that's when they played Ty Conti's music and she came out. She said, not only is she next, but she's the one that's going to beat your ass, bitch. Is that word again. I'm going to beat your ass, bitch. She came down to the ring and got right up in Jade's face. The bunny tried attacking Ty because they had issues in the past. She tried attacking uh, Ty Conti from behind. Conti put her down. Jade then took out Conti with a pump kick. And Jay ran out with a chair to chase off Jade. And uh, I assume this TBS title match is, is being set up for the pay-per-view, I assume. Jade still has a tendency in her matches at times to look like she is moving through quicksand. You know, some of the stuff that she does looks uh, a little on the slow side. But she's improving. I feel like she's getting a little bit better and a little bit better, a little more sure of herself each time. And, you know, maybe some of that behind-the-scenes mentoring from Brian Danielson is paying off here. But I just think naturally, over time, the more that she's practicing and doing it, she'll improve and get better. So you're, you're seeing that. She's not there yet. But I feel like each time there's, there's some noticeable improvements that are being made in her matches. Keith Lee was backstage, I guess back from his honeymoon with Mia Yim, and he was in the back being interviewed by Alex Marvez about the Face of the Revolution ladder match and all of the other participants. Ricky Starks walked up with Powerhouse Hobbs, and he had some choice words for Keith Lee. And we had a little bit of a stare down between Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs, which was uh, pretty cool. So I am looking forward to those two guys locking up for the first time in the ladder match of Revolution. James says that Jade Cargill is the ultimate warrior of AEW. Interpret that however you will. She's a homophobe? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, Ultimate Warrior was one of the top stars in the business at one point. He headlined a WrestleMania. He was a former WWF champion. So if I'm Jade Cargill, you can, you can take that either way. You can take that as a compliment or you can take that as an insult. But she is. She, she's improving a little bit more each time. But is she is she uh, completely seasoned? You know, does the meat need to stay on the grill for a little while longer until it's ready? Yes. She's not there yet. But she is improving. She is getting better. Main event was Daniel Garcia. Main event Daniel strikes again. He's got more main events on this show than people who should actually be in main events on this show. But they see a huge upside, obviously, in him. He went one-on-one -on -one with Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, the crowd was not hot for this at all. The crowd was not hot for this at all, which was unfortunate because this was a match that I was looking forward to. And it felt rushed, like, again, maybe they were pressed for time. There was a commercial break in there. It wasn't like it went two minutes long. I mean, they gave them, I, I want to say six or seven minutes probably is about how long the match went, but... You know, the crowd, look, the crowd didn't care. <laughs> you know, the crowd was very quiet for this match. I don't know if uh, they just, you know, if it was just their unfamiliarity with Daniel Garcia. He's had a lot of matches, though. I mean, they, again, it's not like he hasn't been on TV. But by no means is he looked at as a main eventer. So that's what's going to happen when you put him in main events, depending on who he's in the ring with. You know, he was in the ring with a pretty big name here, but... Uh, they didn't treat the match in that way. People didn't seem as excited about the prospects of this match as I was. I was looking forward to this when they announced it earlier today. 
but anyway, so Garcia was out wrestling Danielson through the uh, final commercial break. They come back from break, and Danielson hit the Tiger suplex, transitions into the cattle mutilation. Garcia counters out of it, got an ankle lock applied. Danielson escaped. He smacked him across the face, tried to wake him up. And Garcia reciprocated, did the same to him. And Brian ended up uh, getting him down on the mat, started stomping away at his head. He got the triangle sleeper locked in with the legs, did the trademark double bicep pose, and Daniel Garcia went nighty-night. And uh, Brian Danielson got the win via ref stoppage. So there really wasn't a whole lot to the match. You know, really, we've seen Brian have TV matches longer than this with whether it was Eddie Kingston or even Lee Moriarty and people like that. Uh, I'm assuming they were pressed for time. Frankly, even if the match had five more minutes, I'm not sure that the crowd would have really cared. They just didn't really seem to give a shit about this. And I think they were just waiting for John Moxley to come out because they knew Brian Danielson had said, I'm going to have an answer for Moxley. And they're probably looking at the clock going, all right, the show's going to be over soon. Let's get Moxley out here. And they got Moxley. Brian got on the mic and he asked the fans if they thought Garcia was violent enough. What do you think, guys? Is this guy violent enough? And then he was immediately attacked from behind uh, by the members of 2.0. John Moxley's music hits. He comes out through the crowd into the ring. He sends Matt Lee out over the top, Jeff Parker out over the top. So two times on this show, 2.0 got eliminated over the top rope. Daniel Garcia ate a paradigm shift for his troubles. Moxley and Brian, they came face to face. We got chance of this is awesome. So. This the crowd cared about. So this goes to my point. They didn't give a shit about Daniel Garcia. They were here to see the stars. They wanted to see Moxley and Brian face-to-face in the ring. Once they went face-to-face, they reacted. They woke up. They cared. They gave a shit. So in order for us to fight together, this is what Danielson said, in order for us to fight together, we need to bleed together. Right? That's what Danielson had heard from John Moxley last week. And he dumped the chair out. Danielson had a chair in his hand. He dumped it aside. He said, I don't need this to make anybody bleed. He goes, you want to match a revolution? You got it. But he said, don't be surprised if you're the only person bleeding. And the crowd loved this. And so now we have the official announcement that it will be Brian Danielson one-on-one at Revolution on March 6th against John Moxley. And that's your co-main event underneath Hangman Page and Adam Cole for the AEW World Championship, CM Punk and MJF in the dog collar match. Now, I guess you can make the argument that you've got uh, three main event level matches on this show. Those are your top three matches on the card. Eddie Kingston's going to have his confrontation one-on-one, his match, brawl, whatever, against Chris Jericho. We know Jurassic Express defending the tag team titles against Red Dragon and very likely the Young Bucks. Apparently not going to get a TNT title match. Probably going to get a trios match involving those guys. Face of the Revolution ladder match, we have four names of the six or eight or however many there's going to be. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. I said it the other night. It doesn't feel like the right time. It, it's the right time for the match, not the right time to take that title off Britt Baker. So she can get the win. 
She could cheat to win. She could have her pals help her out, whatever it is. I wouldn't do the title change or revolution. It feels too premature. I think you can drag this out either until double or nothing, or it was pointed out to me by somebody on Twitter, and shout out to that person. I didn't uh, write their name down. But they pointed out that I think a couple of weeks after Revolution, I believe Dynamite is coming to San Antonio, which is where Thunder Rosa is. I think that's where her, her Mission Pro Wrestling events, I believe, are held as well. So it would be like a homecoming for her. I don't know if I'm going to feel any differently two weeks later than I do now. It still feels a little early, and I think you could extend it out even further. But, yes, you could do that. You can have Britt Baker retain at the pay-per-view and then drop it to Thunder Rosa in the main event on Dynamite in her hometown, get a big, you know, hometown babyface reaction for winning the championship. You could do that. But to do the title change of revolution, I, I, don't, I don't see it. It doesn't feel like the right time to me. This Friday on Rampage, we have a, another qualifier. It's going to be Orange Cassidy against Anthony Bowens, qualifier for the Face of the Revolution ladder match. Serena Deeb is going to have another one of her five-minute uh, challenges on that show. Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, going to have their contract signing for Revolution. Sammy Guevara and Andrade one-on-one for the TNT Championship. Next Wednesday on Dynamite, back at Daly's Place, back home. In Jacksonville, Battle Royal number two, and the other match being promoted is a trios tag match, Hangman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Bill O'Reilly. And so that is coming up on uh, Dynamite, ne- or I'm sorry, Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa, what was that? Did they announce a special guest on Dynamite next week? No, Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, I have to say this. I have one major critique. It annoyed the shit out of me. It annoys the shit out of me every week, but it was really noticeable and really bad at the end of this show. And I'm not blaming Excalibur for it. I know that he's got probably somebody in his ear. He's getting time cues. He's being rushed. This is an every week occurrence, and this was the worst week yet. When they have Excalibur make the match announcements for Rampage and for Dynamite, this guy rushes rushes through these matches. I'm surprised that he doesn't trip over his own words. I'm surprised anybody can even process in their head what he is even saying. Oh, wait, what was that match that he said? How is anybody even able to keep track of all of this? He is speeding as fast as he possibly can. If he was driving on the highway with a 50-mile-an-hour speed limit, he'd be 50 miles over the speed limit. Trying to speed read and get everything in. This is every week. It's Ridiculous. Cut time from some other part of the show if you have to. Let him make his announcements and let the match announcements breathe so people can process what they're hearing. It's it's ridiculous. Even if I didn't have to take notes here, it would would annoy the fuck out of me equally the same. It's not his fault. It's whoever timing the show out, Tony Khan or whoever it is, let the guy breathe as he makes the announcements. My God. How does anybody keep track of anything he says? It's ridiculous. You could sound like somebody who should be doing, he should be like an auctioneer or something. And Brock Lesnar did his auctioneer voice when he was on the Pat McAfee show, because he used to have auctions, I guess, back on the, on the farm when he was younger. Slow the fuck down. Give the guy a chance to speak. My God. Anyway, let's take a look at the Twitter poll. 88%. Thumbs up. 
11.7% thumbs down. So uh, you guys seem to really love the hell out of this show. Look, I mean, as far as promoting Revolution and getting people interested in the key matches on that card, I thought that they did an excellent job of that tonight. But it was a very uh, angle and promo heavy show, whether it was Jericho and Kingston, uh, you know, whether it was the MJF stuff, whether it was even the very end of the show, which is what people were waiting to see. They didn't care about the match. They wanted to see Danielson face-to-face with Moxley. You know, story time with uh, Adam Page at the beginning of the show. That really was the uh, theme of Dynamite tonight. And and still, 88.3% of you gave the show a thumbs up because it was indeed a very good show. Now, I want to go back on Nick Grosso. Thank you. I'll be getting to all your super chats here. If you have questions, anything like that, I'll I'll be uh, getting to that here in a second. Uh, but I wanted just to uh, give a shout-out to uh, someone who is uber-talented and who blew me away with something that they posted online and sent to me this week. I wanted to show you guys this. This is an illustration that was put together by Cobra Arts. A shout-out to Cobra Arts. At ArtsCobra84 is their handle on Twitter. Take a look at that. Look at the winged eagle. The winged eagle never looks so good. With my trusty voodoo doll in hand. I was uh, I was blown away by this. This is, this is sick right here. So I want to just thank Cobra again. I already did in private, but thank you very much. I, I love stuff like this. These, these illustrations and stuff. Very talented. And uh, done a lot of other quality work as well. So that is very cool. And this is also... Quite the sight, I must say. This is the uh, this is your commentary team, right here, for House of Glory. What a tag team this is, huh? Look at that. We got our we got our next show. We got our next show, Salvation, coming up on March 11th. We got some uh, big matches already announced for that show. Natalia Markova is going to be defending her House of Glory Women's Championship that she just won, her first title defense. And it's against Taya Valkyrie. And the Ring of Honor World Champion, Jonathan Gresham, coming in to challenge low-key in the uh, main event. That's only the first two matches. Anyway, uh, I thought that that was, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But this, this, is, uh, this is awesome. So shout-out to Cobra Arts. Definitely check out uh, at ArtsCobra84 on Twitter for that. That was... Uh, a very nice surprise to see that artwork. Yeah, I've never looked so good in my entire life. I will say that. I have never looked better than I do there in those images, and I likely never will. <laughs> so, so there you go. I, I, those are the illustrations that are the best, the ones that make me look even better than I actually look. Uh, another big announcement that I want to mention here so that everybody is well aware of it, something very cool and very fun, and it's happening tomorrow. Less than 24 hours away, take a look at this. Holy shit. When worlds collide. For the first time ever, I I am entering the forbidden podcast door to Don Tony's YouTube channel for a special edition of the Don Tony Show tomorrow night live at 8.05 Eastern. So for one night only, we're going to be chatting about the Latest news in the world of wrestling. Going to be answering your questions, so it's going to be fun. I'll be uh, I'll be on with the Don 
8 o'clock tomorrow night. There it is. Again, that's going to be on his channel. Just search for Don Tony. I'll, I'll link to it on Twitter tomorrow. But uh, tomorrow night, 8.05 Eastern, come, come hang out. It'll be fun, man. Worlds collide, I'm telling you, man. Worlds, worlds are colliding, man. It's crazy. It is crazy. That's how you get. That's how you can spend your Thursday night. Something you never thought that you would get a chance to see. You're gonna get it tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. All right, let's uh, go back here. Check out your uh, super chat messages, and I. Do thank all of you for your support. Whether or not you have a message or a question or just sending in a super chat to show some love, I thank you for keeping this channel strong. All the new people who subscribe. Uh, channel memberships open as well. A lot of great content up there, including the first... Currently, I'm, I'm going one by one, uploading a lot of the old shows, but the very first 13 shows, the lost episodes, ad-free... First 13 episodes of the Sound Up are up for our Legends tier members, but all channel members get a lot of the other perks on the channel. We're going to be doing another call-in show probably uh, probably next Thursday is what I'm thinking, probably in a week. We're going to do another call-in show and we'll do video Q&As. We're going to be doing another watch-along next month. Very excited about that one. So you get some perks when you are a channel member. Amiibo! Amiibo, I'm being told that we are, what, 95 likes away from 500? We can do that. We can do that. We can hit 500, right? You guys can do that. Can you guys deliver for me? Uh, Amiibo, thank you again. He was at the show with Brian Barsoon. Sixth row with the Solomon Monster sign that I showed you guys on screen earlier. I did catch it. I did see it in the opening segment right behind Hangman Page. Thank you, Amiibo. Food High. Main Event Garcia strikes again. Has to be a record. I'm telling you, man. This guy, maybe he's got some, uh, you know, the dirty, dirty pictures of somebody or something. I, I don't know. They, they love him. He does get a lot of Main Event uh, FaceTime. The Mount Vernon Kid. The Alpha with the $5 Super Chat. Man, Penta debuts new gimmick and gets overshadowed by Buddy Matthews. What are your thoughts? I loved it both. I thought it was a uh, it was a great entrance, badass entrance. Great to see Pentagon Dark back. Not not exactly the Pentagon Dark from Lucha Underground, but I thought he was looking badass. And Buddy Matthews is a solid pickup for them. I think we can enjoy both. I thought it was fine. Uh, let's see, the Mount Vernon kid again on a, on a scale of 1 to 10. How dumb does this sound? The Rock is not black because of his tribal tattoos. This was told to my young brother, Hulkling93. The Rock is not black because of his tribal tattoos. That is a pretty fucking stupid thing to say. I would tell your uh, young brother, Hulkling93, who I know eats magic spoon. So I, I know he's a quality dude. Uh, tell him not to listen to such uh, tomfoolery. Anti-M Bishop, $5 super chat. Greetings, Solomonster. Tonight was promo heaven on Dynamite. Revolution is it. Must see TV next weekend. 
Your next House of Glory show equals goosebumps. All the best. I am very much looking forward to calling that show. And like I said, those are only the first two matches announced. There's, there's, there's more to come. There's more to be announced. Uh, B. Vincent 86 sent a $5 super chat. Tonight's show was a little rough, but storylines did get moved along in the right direction. Jay Patterson, I swear Jade Cargill be out there looking like a female version of Super Macho Man from Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Do you believe I, I only um, played Punch-Out, I think, once in my life? As popular as that game was, I think I literally played it once. I, I don't really have too many memories of playing Tyson's Punch-Out, but I know it was huge at the time. So, I don't remember what Super Macho Man even looks like. Nick Grosso, 999. Very good show tonight. The highlights were the amazing promo. The chance to speak for themselves. Thank you, Jared. Always brings a smile to my face when I see Bully the Clown popping up on my screen. But Nick says, very good show tonight. The highlights were the amazing promo by MJF and the Jericho Kingston segment. Uh, I don't get why they are doing a six-man tag instead of a TNT title match or revolution. Well, they got to give Sting and Darby a match on the show. And Andrade has been calling out Mr. Stink uh, for weeks. So what else are they going to do? I guess, right? I mean, Darby would have been in the match. I guess Sting wouldn't have had anything to do. Maybe they want Sting in the match. Or Hey, you're giving me the option? Do I need to see Sting in the ring with Matt Hardy? No. I would rather see a three-way match for the TNT Championship. That's the match that I wish they would do. Maybe they will. It's not official yet, but that seems like uh, they're going in a different direction with it. Uh, Quintus Brown, the promo work from everybody, was A1 tonight. You know, it's true, and I will also say, you know who else had the, uh, maybe the promo of the week? I'm trying to see if it, I don't know that it would be, I don't know that I would rank it better than MJF's. They were kind of on the same level. But I gotta give props, as I will on the uh, Sunday podcast, to Edge. I thought Edge's pro, uh, promo on Raw last night, or uh, Tuesday night, I should say, or uh, Monday night. What the fuck am I even saying anymore? What day of the week is that show? I don't know. I don't always watch Raw in full on Mondays, as you can tell. I finished the show yesterday. But Edge's promo on Raw was uh, excellent. Yeah, when, Ed, when Edge comes out every few months and he sits in the middle of the ring and the camera zooms in on his face and he just cuts a promo on somebody, uh, he does it better than anybody uh, in wrestling right now. You know, he's, he's tremendous on promos, so give him his props as well. Joseph Brooks, nine ninety nine. Thank you, Joseph. Buy, rent, or sell on these matches based off their styles. Brian Danielson against Zack Sabre Jr., Ricochet against Will Ospreay, or Moxley against Ishii. So you're basically, you know, you're asking me to rank technical against flying against brawling. And I think I, I like all of those styles. But if I had to choose which one, uh, 
a good question. <clears throat> I'm trying to think. If I prefer one over the other, I probably, you know, if it's me, oh, Party Monster. There you go. Steven. Steven's getting me to dance. Steven's getting me to dance. Look at this. Thank you for the Hardy Monster Super Chat. Uh, those are all great matches, by the way, that you've recommended here. <laughs> Moxley against DC might be the one that I actually want to see the most. Uh, you know, me, personally, I, I probably would go... <sighs> I, I might go technical, brawling, and then flying. Pro probably in that order, I would say. But, I mean, again, I... I I like all those matches, so it's hard for me to say that there's one style that's, you know, universally better than the other. I probably would go technical brawling and then flying. Flying, flying would not be my favorite. It's fun to watch, but as a matter of personal taste, yeah, you got to give me more than just uh, flying around. Flamethrower Fluff Salisbury. Yes, Maz, I know. I, I was saying, I... I I know we've seen that match before. And uh, I remember liking it very much. As I did uh, Moxley and Suzuki, I think it was, right? They also, uh, was it in Corican Hall? Might have been the first time that they uh, faced each other. Flamethrower says, what would you think of a Buddy Matthews versus Daniel Garcia match? I think they would tear the house down. Well, not in front of uh, Bridgeport, they wouldn't. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Bridgeport didn't seem too interested in Daniel Garcia tonight. Oh, look, I think that could be a TV match at some point. I think that would be a very good match. Tuxedo T. Servo, thank you for the five. Loki Agatho with the $20 Super Chat spot. At work, not able to listen live, just dropping in to show some support to you and the stream. Loki, thank you. Loki, showing some love. Oh, uh, it was Osaka Joe? Okay. It was Osaka. No, I, I, I was aware that they wrestled. In fact, I, I'm almost positive I reviewed their match on the podcast, so. <laughs> I just don't remember what year it would have been. Uh, let's see. Tonic Blaze. Which shop would you rather receive? Ric Flair or Kenta Kobashi? Oh, in terms of pain, I would, I would happily take Flair's over Kobashi's, but... It would be way cooler, I think, to take one from Kobashi than, uh, than Flair. Bret Hart! Bret Hart! Dropping three bucks. Thank you, Bret Hart. I hope that you're, uh, nice and baked. Well, not, not in that way. Or maybe you are. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe you are baked in that way. I don't know. I like my bread baked fresh. Rodimus Prime with the $20. Fun show tonight. Only thing that brought it down was the constant picture-in-picture. Picture. Really annoying. Plus, your thoughts on the debut of Nikita Lyons on NXT. I will let you know once I catch up on NXT. I have not watched it yet. Uh, French Fry Slut. $2 Super Chat. MJF revealing his villain origin story. That's, yeah, you know what? That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. That is his villain origin story. I like it. Marcus Robinson has uh, Beavis' uh, headbanging there over my super chats. Thank you. Marcus Robinson Johnson. I'm sure it's a swerve, but MJF's promo definitely convinced me that he could be a great babyface one day. Without a doubt. 
without a doubt. Old Dirty Sausage. I hope we get an Eddie Kingston and MJF feud at some point. Those dudes are a different breed. Thunderblade Liger. I saw a monster buy or sell on Booker T's tag team partners in the ruthless aggression era. Gold Dust in 2002 or Rob Van Dam in 2004. Oh, I, I can't vote against the Gold Dust team. That was far more entertaining. Far more entertaining. It's not even close. So I am buying on Gold Dust in 02. I am selling on RVD as his partner in 04. Uh, let's see here. We've got Defined Real sent a 1999 Super Chat MJF's promo is a reason I don't want him in WWE because I don't think they'll let him cut that type of promo. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're a promo. Well, yeah, they probably wouldn't let him on TV calling himself Jew Boy, but I've seen other MJF promos that are far more uh, questionable that uh, whether or not WWE would allow something like that than the one we got tonight. James Cooper, 999. If Austin returns for more than just a one-off, would he be a potential opponent for Roman Reigns at SummerSlam? I would think he would have to be. I mean, you, you have the ability, if Austin comes back for more than one match, and I remain unconvinced that he's coming back for an actual match. Uh, I still think he may end up as a referee or something, but... If you get Austin back and he is going to wrestle more than one match and he looks reasonably good at WrestleMania, I don't see how you don't build to a Roman Reigns, Stone Cold Steve Austin match, whether it's SummerSlam or some other big show. You know, they they, they got a bunch of stadium shows this summer. Money in the Bank is a stadium show. SummerSlam is a stadium show. They're doing a UK stadium show in September, I think around Labor Day. And if you have the ability to do Austin and Reigns, you do it. You do it. Uh, the possibilities are endless. But again, that, that's predicated on whether or not Austin comes back at all. And if he does, how does he look? How does he feel? We, we have no idea. The man hasn't wrestled the match in 19 years. You know, it's one thing to be someone like Sting at 62, who's been wrestling consistently for 30-plus years. Even Bill Goldberg. You know, he was gone for a very long time, but even Bill Goldberg has come back to WWE and had how many matches since 2016? He's had a whole bunch of matches. Austin has had none. He's had zero. We don't know what he can do. So it's a big question mark right now. But Austin and Roman Reigns, holy shit. I mean, that, that would be a marquee match without question. Without a doubt. Groovy Goose, I always thought MJF could do a double turn with somebody. He just needs the right guy. However, I wouldn't do it just yet. Much love, Solomon. Yeah, I would not do it either. I would not do it anytime soon. Nayef Alcifar, thank you for the four ninety nine. Appreciate it. Stephen Chappell with the $30 Bully the Clown or uh, Fuck Bully Ray Super Chat from earlier. Wow, we're only first, we're only first getting to that one now. We got to speed this up here. Uh, Nick Grosso has a New Japan question: Are the Gorillas of Destiny out of the Bullet Club? Because from what I saw on Impact, it looks like God are out and the Good Brothers are back in. 
I will uh, tell you that I have not been following the recent events on Impact. Uh, even though I probably should, because you know I know Jay White's been uh, hanging out there. But I have not been uh, keeping up with Impact of late, so I, I don't know. I don't know what their status is in terms of Bullet Club. I'm not sure. Vitamin Vision, Solo Monsters, Voodoo Doll versus Alexa Bliss's Lily Doll. WrestleMania, book it. Yeah, I might have to add them to the uh, Be the Booker animation. Should I put Lily? Should I put Lily the Doll in the uh, female Be the Booker? Drew Johnson, $5 super chat. HBK is the GOAT. Brett deserved what he got in 97. And according to Dax Harwood, Shawn Michaels is a, two, is a two-faced prick. If you saw his interview with Renee, Renee Paquette on her podcast. I'm just relaying the news. I'm just relaying the information to you. Jared M. with the $30 super chat. Jared, what is going on? What in the hell is going on, Jared? So according to Bear, uh, uh, Beowulf, I almost called you Beowulf. Or Beowulf. I saw that in 3D in the movies when it came out. He says, yes, they are out of Bullet Club, G.O.D. is. At least the American faction in Impact. So there's your answer. There you go. Austin, Austin Runge says, but he found God. Just because you find God doesn't mean you're still not afraid. Willie Gag and Bob, $2 super chat. Brett is, was, and always will be the best. Drew Johnson, Solid Monster, you're that man. Love some magic spoon. Hey, don't forget, guys, you can get $5 off that shit. Five, not 5%, 5 bucks. MagicSpoon.com slash Solomonster. we got some more fun stuff coming your way in a couple of weeks. Stephen Chappell with a $25 super chat. About to get my first Magic Spoon. Oh, look at this. About to get my first Magic Spoon order at the end of the week. Pretty amped. You better be using my link and my code. MagicSpoon.com slash Solomonster. When you check out, punch in Solomonster. You get $5 off. You can thank me later. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Very good. Rizzo, $20 super chat. My favorite day of the week and finished the podcast on Monday. I was curious how you feel about EC3 and Braun Strowman's new wrestling promotion. Big deal, small deal, no deal. Um, not a big deal, you know. It's up to them, I guess. We'll see how, how big it can get. I don't see it getting very big. I think it'll be a small thing. You know, they, they might be able to sustain it. It's all about, you know, how many shows are they running? What kind of venues are they running? Can they afford to keep up with it? You know, are they bringing in a lot of talent? I don't know how much interest there's going to be in this, but, you know, I wish them the best. Hopefully it works out. But, no, I don't see it being a very big deal. Uh, Mr. Notorious Dez just left the show, and the crowd was good into the majority of the show. And i got to say, Jade Cargill is gorgeous in person. She's a very beautiful woman. Statuesque, you might even say. Drew Johnson. $5 Super Chat. CM Punk and MJF are both way better on the mic than Edge. All right. Zombified Guitarist. Minus 13 in Billings. Holy shit, Billings, Montana is minus 13 degrees. 
heading out to scavenge for some computer towers I've found. Good night, and many slams. You better bundle that ass up. Minus 13. You might freeze before you get back. Hitman NWA with the 20 bucks. Good show tonight. Jericho looking in better shape. The pack Penta Brody spot with the clothesline was the highlight for me. But overall, a good show with some memorable spots. Enjoying the recap. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Hitman. I will try. Yash Varden Shekawat. What is a baby face? I died after that line. From the promo earlier. Well, Yash Varden, thank you. Thank you for the 50 cents. I appreciate it. Uh, Carlos Naftali with the $10. Russo on a pole, bro. Russo on a pole, bro. What's going on, Carlos? It's good to hear from you. Let me uh, put yours up. There we go. There we go. Got to get Carlos on screen here. Would it be weird if Stone Cold really came back to fight at Mania in a mid-card match? I feel his return match should be one of the WrestleMania main events. You know, that's the thing. I mean, I love Kevin Owens, but if you're going to bring back Stone Cold for a main event match at WrestleMania, it, it's not against Kevin Owens. It, you know, it's just not. And uh, Owens, I just don't see him headlining over Ronda Rousey on night one. We know Lesnar and Reigns have night two locked up. I just don't see them deviating from the whole women on night one, men on night two, Ronda Rousey. You know, she's, she's going to be in the main event on night one. But I also think that Austin, it's kind of like Shawn Michaels when he came back at SummerSlam in 2002. He didn't headline SummerSlam that year. It was Rock and Brock, and Brock was, was still the new guy at the time. They didn't know what they were going to get with Shawn. He ended up getting a great match, but you didn't know that. Maybe they feel the same way about Austin. Now put him in the ring with Owens, see how he does. If he does well and wants to do more, then maybe he can have some main events. But look, Stone Cold Steve Austin is one, of, and I'm not exaggerating here, Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the biggest names in the history of the business. If he comes back to the ring, it is a very big deal. It should be worthy of a main event spot. But if it's against Kevin Owens... And it's been 19 years. You don't really know what you're going to get. Maybe it's not going to be a long match. You know, if you're going to have a main event at WrestleMania, you already know Lesnar and Reigns on night two is not going 20 minutes. Brock Lesnar is not going 20 or 25 minutes in the WrestleMania main event. So, ideally, you would have a longer match on night one. I don't know how long Austin would even go in a match. 19 years away, how long could he go? It probably would be like a five or six minute thing. I don't think it would be that long. you got to factor that into the thinking as well. Magician Sapphire, $10 super chat. I get the feeling that Omega comes back and screws Cole out of the championship, setting up the Elite against the Paragon feud. Possible. Although, again, I, I believe Omega said he had another surgery left, unless he was swerving us on the interview with Meltzer, you know. I don't know that he's ready to come back. That would be uh, a, a big spot for him, too. But it would be very unlike AEW, though. I think in the main event, they only have four pay-per-views a year. And in your main event world title match, you're going to have interference. 
I I don't think it's it doesn't it's not their mo. WWE would do that. I I don't know. That's how they want to end the show though. I I don't know. I could see Omega maybe coming out after, especially if if uh, Cole loses. Uh, but I I don't know about him costing him the championship in the main event. I I'm not sure about that. Corbin Rogers with the 999. Uh, yeah, Maz, Paragon was uh, the name that I think O'Reilly used once on television. I don't know for sure if that's the name they're going to go with for the Cole uh, Fishman O'Reilly faction. Uh, but that's where Paragon comes from. They used it on television once or twice. I don't think they mentioned it again. Maybe they dropped it. But Corbin Rogers, how would you think uh, Fox... Or how do you think Fox feels about NASCAR averaging 9 million viewers the first two races this year compared to SmackDown? I think that you are underestimating how big of a deal NASCAR is to a lot of people in this country. NASCAR is very popular. I I don't get it. I'm not, you know, big on just sitting there and watching. I like watching, uh, you know, highlights maybe of some of the races. I, I, I can't sit there and watch a whole thing of races. You know, so like people can't watch baseball. Some people think it's boring, you know. A bunch of guys standing around in the outfield scratching themselves and spitting sunflower seeds out all over the place. You know, I, I love baseball, but some people don't. NASCAR has always been very popular. So it's not surprising to me that it would get that many people. Uh, but I think Fox knew what they were getting into with WWE. WWE, there's no WWE show that has ever gotten 9 million viewers in in, 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 I'm trying to think how many years it's been. I don't mean ever. There was that Saturday Night's Main Event with Hogan and Andre that did 33 million. The highest Raw ever in May of 99 did an 8.1 rating, which was around, it was in that range of like maybe 7 or 8 million. It was crazy. But they knew that the WWE of today doesn't bring in numbers like that before they signed the contract. So I think Fox is getting exactly what they should have expected. What did they expect? SmackDown was going to debut on Fox and get 5, 10 million viewers a week? Are they out of their fucking minds? Nobody there did their due diligence? Come on. Even in 99, when SmackDown was on UPN, and I know UPN maybe didn't have the kind of clearances that Fox did, but that was like Attitude Era level WWE. They weren't pulling in numbers on on network television even then like that. So Fox should not be surprised uh, by these numbers. They knew what they were paying for. Drew Johnson, Solomonster, love the show. Your stream is the best. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. You are the GOAT. Deontay Swanye with the $2 super chat. MJF. He's a piece of shit, but he's my piece of shit. Yeah. I agree. He is a piece of shit. Amiibo Guru with the $5 super chat. Looks like the sign came through. Had a blast tonight. Hashtag Simpin for Solomon. Amiibo, that was uh, very cool of you. Bring that sign to the show. And as I tell everybody, if you bring a sound off sign, give me a heads up. Because if I catch it, or if somebody clips it, I'll show it on the stream. I'll give you a shout-out, whether it's a sign, whether it's a giant Solomonster head. I'm still waiting for one of those. Maybe somebody can take that illustration. I've never looked better. 
My, my fucking muscles have muscles in that illustration. You can blow it up, hold it up on a sign, man. Come on. Sound up logo right there so people know who it is. Uh, Deontay Swanye, yet again, $4 Super Chat. I hate him for fun, MJF. Love the show. And Randy Bobandy with the 999. Russo on a pole, bro. If you got cast on Survivor, how do you think you would do? I would be the first one eliminated. I don't do well in situations like that. Especially if it was like in the outdoors and I had to survive like in the wilderness or something. Please. I, I would be I would be eaten by a bear on, on the first night. I would either be eaten by a bear or I would freeze to death if I have to like find wood to start a fire. I probably wouldn't be able to do it. I would die within 24 hours. I would be dead. So I would not do very well. To answer your question, that's why I will never try out for Survivor. Cam Reemsten or Reemsten. We'll just call him Cam. Thank you for the $4.99. Big shout out to you, Solo. Every time I'm having a hard time in life, always able to come back and ease my mind. That's why I'm here. Why I'm here, brother. I'm here to serve. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is that's going on in life, you can turn it off for a couple of hours and come watch and listen and hang out. Ted Evans says, love you solo, but you need to do some curls. Uh, I, could, I could probably do some, uh, I could do some lats, right? Some delts. I, I just stick to the cardio. That's my problem. That's my problem. I, I could bulk up and look just like I do in that illustration if I put the effort in, but I'm not motivated enough. But I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm picking up free weights. I need a focused plan. I'm focusing on cardio and nothing else, so. So I said, I've never looked better than I look in that illustration. Oh, boy, look who it is, everybody. It is Luis. It is Luis Belmont show with the $5 Super Chat. I am happy that Brock Lesnar got what he wanted. Him against Roman Reigns, champion against champion. Winner take all. Kevin is very excited in the chat that I will be... Making a guest appearance tomorrow night, for those who missed it, 8 o'clock Eastern, over on Don Tony's YouTube channel. The uh, streaming page is up as we speak, so you can go over there and bookmark it, and the chat is open over there on his page. Show him some love. There's Deontay again. You always get my name right. No one does. Thank you, bro. I'm glad I got your name right, because at first I was like, is it... Say it this way, or do I say it a different way? I said, no, I think it's this way. So I'm glad I got it right. There it is. For, for Deontay, there it is. There's the modern-day mega powers. Paul Heyman never looks so good. With uh, Brock Savage and uh, Hulk Reigns. Getty Kettlebell. Actually, you know what I thought about... Uh, getting are the uh, oh god what are they called oh it just uh, the straps it just uh, popped uh, it just popped out of my head what the fuck they're called <laughs> they're like the rubber those, those rubber straps or the rubber bands 
But every one I look up online, I'm trying to find like a quality one, and like on Amazon, and, and I'm going through the reviews, and they all they all break. And people are like, yeah, I'm working out with them, and then boom, one day it just snaps. They're all like crappy quality. I got to find some uh, some quality bands. I just don't know where to look. I don't want them snapping on me, putting out an eye. Bowflex? No, not Bowflex. Not Bowflex. They're, they're, they're just like bands. You could tie them to like a, a, a post or something. You could step on them and it's for resistance. Resistance bands. They're resistance bands. But again, a lot of the ones that I've looked up online, they just don't seem to be of, uh, of good quality. They snap, they break. People are posting photos. Like, oh, I don't want that. Shake weight? No, I don't do shake weight. Is Shakeway even still a thing? Don Juan with the dollar ninety nine. Very upset. He goes, I am the real Don. Don Tony Who? Well, you are the Don here in our chat. How about that? In our in our little uh, community here, you are the one and only Don. See, he's not coming here. I'm going to him. So that's over there. Over here, you're the Don. Resistance bands do work. I, I know they do. That's why I'm looking for some quality resistance bands that won't break. Once I find them, we'll start getting... You know, summer, before you know it, summer's going to be here. i got to get my beach body ready for the summer. we gotta start. We got to start planning for the summer here. I hit the beach. I'm going to be flexing on the beach. Running down the sand like on Baywatch. I'll, be, I'll look like, uh, what's his face, back in the day. On uh, on Baywatch. What was his name? Need Gargano in AEW? Well, be patient for a few weeks. You might get your wish. You can get some for free if you went to physical therapy. Oh, I already did physical therapy a few years ago. I don't need to go back to physical therapy again. Uh, Luis, chiming in with another five bucks. Could we get the winged dragon of Ra to block Paul Heyman from getting away? What? The winged dragon of Ra? What the fuck is that? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. The Winged Dragon of Ra? Anyway. Uh, Cam, thank you for the $1.99. Could Cody go to CYN instead of WW? <laughs> what does any of this mean? Oh, control your narrative. Okay. A second there. I didn't know uh, what was going on here. Why would Cody go to control your narrative? That would be... Ridiculous. No. He's out of his mind. If he go if he ends up there, he's out of his mind. Especially if he if, if he in part left AEW because of money. <laughs> you don't go to control your narrative if you're looking for a good payday. I can promise you that. Yu-Gi-Oh, is that what that's from? The winged dragon of Ra, I'm being told. Alright, I'm being told that the winged dragon of Ra is a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. I have been I have been schooled.
David Hasselhoff. Yeah, that's who I was uh, referring to before. It was uh, David Hasselhoff. Watch anime? Dude, I barely have time for uh, all the wrestling I have to watch. You got me watching anime here. No anime for me. All right, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Jared, I did. I saw something go by before in the chat. Again, the, the super chats pop up in a separate window. I get all those organized. Anything on the right-hand side here, it just, I either catch it or I don't. But uh, I get to go back when everything is over and read through everything I missed. So, but thank you. I think he's, uh, what are you, 10 months now? Are you 10 months deep or nine months? Channel members. You know, March is coming up, and uh, next month we will have had channel memberships here open for a full year. I only opened them up at the end of March last year for the first time, and uh, we are very, very close to 300 members, which was one of those milestone numbers I, I wanted to hit, and we're almost there. So only you guys can help get me there, and everybody who has already joined, I thank you for that. We're, we're so close. I would love to hit it before we hit the year, but Either way, we're, we're going to hit it soon, and that's not possible without you guys. Uh, Devin from NJ2000, much fun talking to you last Thursday, Solomonster. Yeah, you know, again, one of those perks of channel membership, and that's for all tiers, there's two tiers, is the call-in shows. We just started doing them. I used to do calls here at the end of the live streams, and then once I started doing Be the Booker, which I'm going to get to here, but... Um, and then sometimes the streams would go over, and it's, I would turn around, and it's like, I'm two hours in. I'm not first doing phone calls two hours in. And then some of the calls got ridiculous, and people didn't like them, and I said, fine. So I said, you know what we'll do? We'll make it a perk for channel members. So we still do phone calls. We do these dedicated shows. I opened the phone lines up to you guys. We did two hours last week. I had a completely shitty day. That was the day that I got stranded in the Apple store in Apple hell for eight hours. I had an 11 a.m. Genius Bar appointment to fix an issue with my existing phone. Ended up buying a new phone, which I needed anyway. And then there was some transfer issue where I had traded in the old phone and everything was already taken care of, but they couldn't transfer my photos and stuff over. <laughs> and it wasn't in the cloud. That's my fault. It wasn't in the cloud. But device to device should be lickety-split, and it was like I had stumped them. I, like, all these geniuses in the genius bar were completely stumped. And I said, I'm not going to let you wipe my old device and erase it until I get my fucking photos. But I had already, you know, gotten the money for the trade-in, so I couldn't leave the store. So I was, I was stuck there. 8 o'clock at night. It took that long on their Wi-Fi to transfer every single thing that was on the old device. I wanted I wanted to just bang my head against the wall. I can't tell you how many people walked up to me that day and said, you're still here? <laughs> like they felt sorry for me. They were about to start throwing spare change at me. At least feed me. Go buy me lunch from the food court or something. Jesus. But I came home that night and was just not in the mood, and you guys uh, cheered me up, so... That was as fun for me as it was for you. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. 